If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 66 of Cinefunks. Now, I have to start off saying, before we even introduce our guest, right. that this is a bit of a retro episode. Because we're seated at the very table where we've done past episodes with such guests as Brian Hexter. Yeah. And uh, Sean Bennis. Sean we were sitting Bennis. somewhere else. But we no, were but we were right in this, in this particular spot of Amalgam Coffee Shop and Comic Books. Yes, we are glad <laughs> to be back at Amalgam. And, and our guest for today is a very special Jasmine, who works hey, here at Amalgam. I do. You do the programming stuff here, right? Is that what it is? Um, I collaborate with Ariel on programming, but I am her PR and media director oh. uh, for the store and for Ariel as a personality. She's doing a lot of panels now, and people, yeah. people like her. She's pleasant. <laughs> right. We had her at Lafayette, and they still talk about it. Yeah, still yeah. Talk about you know, it. Liam does programming at the college that he works at. Yeah. It's pretty cool, dude. So much work. So much work. <laughs> I'm like stressed out of my mind. Like, why do I run a podcast at work? Hey, so uh, <laughs> we're really uh, honored and feel great that you were here with us. And oh. a lot of times we ask someone to come on, and we have no idea what they're going to want to talk about. Yeah. And then when you, we were like, okay, Jasmine, it's great to have you on. Fingers crossed. What do you want to talk about? And you were like, Cohen Brothers. I was like, fuck. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we've discussed the Cohen Brothers' work on the Got show to. already, but yeah. nothing Not like. In depth. We just talked no, about No, we've talked generally. about stuff as it came out. Because like, right. while we've been doing the show, they came out with uh, Hail Caesar and. and uh, mm-hmm. Burn After Reading, I think, was at, at the very beginning. No. No? No, that's older than you're thinking. That came out when I was in like college. Oh, shit. Or not college, uh, seminary. Yeah, I was going to say Did not it? college. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then, no, weird. Since Never then, mind. Your, your Inside Lewin Davis came out just oh, yeah. a few years ago. And we did discuss that on the yes, show. Only briefly. Well, not briefly, but we didn't make it the topic of conversation as we're about to today. Right. Yeah, and those early episodes, there was less likely for us to say, this is our one topic. We were just like, turn on the recorder. <laughs> let's just talk. Oh, we're great. so listenable. Oh, <laughs> and then you guys charming motherfuckers of the world. <laughs> yes. A.K.A. Bump. idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and idiots. then you listen, you listen to it 
And then you started listening to it, and you were like, no. We Dare can't, I say we can't it's unlistenable. Okay. It's unlistenable at this point. I don't think they're all unlistenable. But they're I'm also all like three hours long. <laughs> and very, just the two of us bit, talking. They're a bit long. <laughs> um, I think that uh, having a, a focused topic helps people not only to focus in the show, but it also help, brings in listeners. If you're just like, hey, it's us, and we talk about a bunch of crap, then like yeah. someone who's never listened to the show before is like, Okay, Why do I, do I care I, about your crap? Am I in a bunch yeah. of crap? I don't know. Mm. But if you say, like, we're talking about the Cohen mm. you know what I mean? Word. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. That's good yeah. stuff. That's good for me because that's, you know, marketing, media. That's right. what I'm doing for the store. And it's very, like, what can I hashtag? <laughs> what, ah. what kind of picture can I use? So people who are listening to the show should know about Amalgam, but we probably have new listeners. Right. Mm. So for people listening who don't know anything about Amalgam, how would you describe Oh, that's a good question. I haven't been asked that in a while. Usually it's Ariel who people are interested oh, in. That's the whole point. That's <laughs> what I do is make sure that people want to hear what Ariel has to say. Um, but uh, I would say the Amalgam is it's a coffee shop and a comic book store hybrid that also focuses on um, sort of uh, cultivating diverse voices in comics. So we that was something we had the idea of doing early on. But we didn't realize we'd get to do it um, until Ariel went viral, and then it would just people were reaching out to us. So we're already doing it. We we just got a grant to expand our um, horizons in that area. Yeah, and congratulations! Thank that you. is really awesome. awesome. Really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was kind of surreal. We got to hang out with a bunch of uh, civic innovators um, in Miami. But we. Um, so yeah so that's what we do and we so any sort of geek culture sort of stuff we're not into uh alienating people because they don't haven't read all the batman whatever (laughs) or or they don't read comics at all but they like comic book culture like me (laughs) i like the culture i'll watch the tv i watch walking dead i watch gotham i'll go see a comic book movie i I have a hard time reading them because of the way the formatting is but Mm. i love the stories so but i you know, I feel comfortable coming into Amalgam and as I hope anyone else would to enjoy the culture of television and anything that they geek out about. Um, well, yeah, hoping. it's really become not just comic books. And, and I think this is true in a lot of comic shops, but you guys, as because you part of your goal is in the community space, right. there's been more opportunities for a variety of things that geeks care about to Mm -hmm. live here not just comic books though obviously that's a big factor but you've done other events and stuff yeah it's the hub it's the comic is sort of the hub because the that's what i think is interesting about comic books is that it's uh like a universe building whereas you had like a bookstore bookstores are even with bookstores it's like you have usually only have like one book of something and that's the the universe is very tight it's a world but with comics, it's this huge universe of things that you can just uh, you can never stop unearthing, kind of. And that's kind of what overwhelms me when I try to like get into comics, because I'm just like I don't know where to start, how to like you know, yeah. um, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so that's what we're trying to we're trying to do is make people realize that if you're just into I don't know Buffy, and but you never read the comics or you know you think you might want to, that we have people that can help you with that. And awesome. there's other things going on here that you'd be interesting when. It, interested in when it comes to community so yeah. I, yeah I think that though the some comic shops can be spaces of safety for some people yeah. right they can also be alienating for it can others be, it can be alienating and and that though some of those are related to identity uh issues the big eight as they say 
uh, and some of those are related simply to just the way that you run your shop. That there are some shops that are super welcoming and super understanding and ready to help you get involved, and there are some shops that have a real poser syndrome. I like. believe the word is elitist. <laughs> mm. There are some shops yeah. that foster this elitist perspective on things, especially a, in various corners of geekdom. You know what I mean? Like it's such an it's such an awkward thing though. When I think of the sorts of elitists in a comic book shop, though, it makes me think of the sort of person who wants to be in charge at a prison camp. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the whole reason you're here is because you're not a normal human. Right. That right. most normal, in the in the most pejorative sense of that word, right. humans, they're out there are watching footballs. Yeah. So for you to be someone in charge of your little castle, right. who's like, oh, you're not cool enough to be here. Yeah, you're yeah. not cool enough to be out there doing <laughs> normal people stuff. So why are you in here acting like yeah. you're a fucking lord? Yeah, that? why hating? It's yeah. also like, oh, yeah, Tommy on the football team has a cure tape. You know that? Yes. <laughs> that joke yes. trope? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't read this comic book, dude. <laughs> Go talk to girls or whatever it is that you do. Like, that weird, like well, yeah. And so, and so that's I, I think one of the things that was really great um, thinking about Amalgam is uh, when we had Ariel come speak at Lafayette. Is like people wanted her to have these like super complicated ways that Amalgam welcomed people, and it was like, well, we're nice, we're nice, to <laughs> and we don't assume anything about them, and we we help them get past those barriers. Because here's the thing that I think is true. And again, I'm not trying to smash every comic shop, but let's say you're in a comic shop where everyone who works there is a certain identity. Right. You committed, you already feel awkward because of that. And that's yeah. like, that is what it is. We could talk about that in another episode. But you come in, you're, there's already a, a step that you're having to get over. Okay, I'm in a space where I'm the person who's different for whatever reason. Mm. And then you're also going to be mean to me because I don't know <laughs> everything or whatever. It's just going to reinforce this feeling of like, you don't fucking belong. Yeah. Right. Um, anyways. I do want to say, though, the reason we asked, I, I want you to know, I was like, yeah, we need to have Jasmine on, because one of the things I remember was one of the first times I ever met you, we started talking about movies. Right. And I think that that's true um, at a few places that, like, uh, those coinciding between movie geeks and comic book geeks. Yeah. Not every movie geek is in the and comics. And it's not just because, it's not just because yeah. comic book movies are, no, like, the thing. It's actually just, like, a strain of... That's a strain of geekery that I we want to... You know, we have greetings here for people who... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't have to have, you know, known all this stuff going into it. You can come into it just like this, or you can go a little deeper if you want to go deeper by getting the source material. But if you want to just come, you just like movies, you just want to come. That's me. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's I just, I, I'm, real, I'm late, too lazy for comics. <laughs> but we have comics there with people who, you know, you want to, like, up your game, then we got it for you. <laughs> you do know that we, we screen movies here for Liam's bachelor party. Yeah. Part of my bachelor party occurred in this very space, yeah. which is me, yet again, letting Cinepunk's <laughs> listeners know how not cool I am. <laughs> we went to a comic shop, we watched a movie, it was cool. Yeah, we watched a movie, and then we saw... Some um, movie that Josh hated. By the way. Yeah, it was, oh man, some samurai, it was terrible. And then we saw Martha Graham Cracker do a Prince tribute at the TLA. Yeah, we oh, that was amazing. That's a great Speaking night. Speaking of great experiences, right. now is the time for us to transition to Whacking on Track. Oh man, so dumb every it time we It never do it. ever gets cooler, but it's the <laughs> coolest thing that we do. <laughs> I mean, so, I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it, so I don't really care. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, sure. So... so as our guest, you get to decide whether you would like to begin or end. Or if you want, you can go in the middle. How about that? We never you offer that. Yeah. You you want. Oh, oh, uh, the topic? No, no. Just uh, if you'd like to go first and tell us what you did recently that was whack or what was on uh, track. Oh, uh, 
Oh, oh my God. I do so many whack things. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, what I did uh, was whack was, well, <laughs> I'm a big, well, another reason why I belong in geek culture, not that there's, you know, a, a list. Qualifiers or Not whatever. that there's qualifiers, but just, you know, just to, to say for people who <laughs> might feel like, oh, you're cool, whatever. But it's like I read fan fiction <laughs> and I spent, I got, I looked up my ship and spent days <laughs> reading just what, like a really long fanfic from Harry Potter and waste and I had things to do and I just wasted so much time <laughs> when I know I had work to do. Is it a waste though? Uh, if you're enriched and gratified, <laughs> is it really a waste is the question, right? That's the, that is the big question about fan fiction is that, and I started reading it after knowing about it for a while and making fun of my friend for reading it. <laughs> and I realized, and I was like, wait, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't dumb. This is the evolution in storytelling. And then I, then I, but I still don't tell much, don't talk to people about it. Yeah. Well, at least you're not talking about it on a podcast that thousands of people listen to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a joke. Also the joke, also the joke. There's <laughs> joke wrapped in a joke. I, joke wrapped in a joke. I, I, so wait, do you write fan like fiction? Or? People making fun I do not write fan fiction. Do you guys, do you guys know anything about fan fiction? Do you read fan fiction? I don't read it. I don't know anything about it other than that it gets a lot of mentioning in Bob's Burgers in relationship to Tina writing friend fiction. She does write friend fiction. She writes friend fiction. (laughs) Um, Erotic friend fiction from Tina Belcher. That's the limits of my knowledge of fan fiction. I mean, I have friends who read fan fiction, um, and I know people who write fan fiction. Mm -hmm. I have two friends who write fan fiction, and one... It's just like a fun activity. Yeah. And the other, it's like erotic. And yes. Whoa. she does it for money. No. Oh. Yeah. Not, wow. Not much. But there's a website that That's... she's like submitted stuff. Right. And they like Hate it, they'll it? pay you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You're not supposed to do that with fan fiction? That's no, what they say in doesn't. the beginning of fan fiction is that this is not... Um, I, I don't, uh, I'm not associated with J.K. Rowling. You're supposed to put that in the beginning oh, of your fiction. 100%. I, I think it's because the, the, the site still has ad revenue and they're oh. really like good stories. So. I do know oh. that friend of the podcast, Evo Tomas, is working on a sequel to Robocop 4 or something like this. As like fan fiction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, fun. Yeah. So, That's, I but I haven't it. really read any, I think for me, because um, I don't know, I don't know what uh, franchise genre world I care about enough to then read to further the story. Yeah, I kind of feel like the Star Wars cinema or the Star Wars extended universe is kind of like the same, right? There's so many goddamn books though. (laughs) I don't get any of it, man. It's like I've read a few of the books. Have you? They're not terrible, but the ones that I read, I'm sure there are terrible ones, but (laughs) the ones that I read were pretty good. But I remember there's a part of, and this goes to the fan fiction thing. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that's like, if this doesn't impact the thing, I don't want to invest the time. Right, and I think I don't know why. So, impa- so it's called canon, right? Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's mainstream, but it's definitely a fan fiction terminology. It's like when you're pulling from, you know, this is this is canon, this is you know AU, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you, if it's not canon, so if it's not canon, which means that if it's not the people who own the rights to the story, telling the story, so if it's not, you know, um, who's who's in charge of Star. Wars now. Um, what's his name? J.J. Abrams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not J.J. Abrams. It doesn't count. And that's the thing that's interesting about fan fiction because it's like, what I think of it, and this is very like romantic and ridiculous, <laughs> but is that it's a, um, 
it's kind of like when you, people would before there were corporations and you would sit at a campfire sure, yeah. and you would say this is my horror story or well this is a story when i got attacked by an animal and then someone says oh that's a cool story and then they just you know they keep telling it and they or they add yeah. something to it yeah. so kind of like what is it whisper down a lane or whatever that sort of right. thing is i don't think that yeah. fan fiction is less legitimate this oh, is not no. a legitimacy thing it's just for me personally no, just yeah. not into it I understand. Well, it's actually more like a feeling of being overwhelmed. <laughs> I, oh. I already have so much shit I know. I'm not reading. I'm going to now add so-and-so's extension. And then I got to remind myself, like, if someone was like, well, what happened to whatever? And I'm like, oh, oh no, that's not canon. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. You do remember. Well, for me, I don't read fan fiction for uh, novels. I mean, well, I usually, it's usually an offshoot of something that's visual. And then sure. I can get more out of it. So right. I started reading it with Heroes. Because oh, no, heroes, yeah. heroes would have yeah, this yeah, huge, yeah. they would have a huge uh, block of time because they were, you know, doing all the special effects. So they, so there would be these long hiatuses, and I was like, oh my god, this was before like, Lord of the Rings, where we got used to it. Yeah. But <laughs> before it was like, it's like, oh, heroes will be back in six months, and I was just like, wow, but that's so much time. And so I started. I remember that a friend of mine used to read it, and I was like, well, let me look up, let me Google fan fiction heroes, and then there was, and I was like, I haven't been back since. It's terrible. So it's not terrible, but it's, you know, it's a time suck. So it was like, so it's a, you know, visual medium and then go, I wouldn't do it for, if I'm, uh, for something that I'm reading, especially if it's dense, um, to, to, cause I, you already have the, there's so much there. Yeah. yeah especially with star Wars. It's like, Oh my yeah. God. I, I, I mean, literal I'm galaxies. Not a big, I'm not a big star. I'm actually not as big a star Wars person as like star Wars, star Wars people. Yeah. Right. But, uh, for example, I would do, if there was a, RoboCop fan fiction that was only from the first movie as canon. Yeah. Because I think the sequels are fun, but they they don't actually help. <laughs> you know, like that the first the first uh, RoboCop is one of the few properties where that movie ends, and I think it should be twenty more minutes. This movie, <laughs> <laughs> this movie should be longer. Like, there's no reason for it to be this quick. Right. Uh, but then I find the sequels fun, but not intellectually interesting anymore. Right, right, right. So they it, fall off after two, for sure. Well, and they seem to miss... I mean, I, and Verhoeven didn't direct the second one, right? Like, No, no, no. And let's be clear, too. Saying a sequel to a Verhoeven property misses the mark <laughs> is like the most obvious <laughs> statement in the world. Like, because, duh. Because every Verhoeven <laughs> movie is such a level of tongue-in-cheek satire. Insanity, yeah. And then inevitably people go like, oh, no, yeah, like, a cop who killed people would be really cool. And it's like, <laughs> That's not what uh, Cop is about, actually. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, the same yeah, with yeah. like Starship Troopers. Like, there are actually surprisingly some good Starship Troopers sequels. Like way down the line, some indie scripts got turned into Starship Troopers that were just sci-fi scripts. Wow, either. So they're not bad, but none of them are Starship Troopers, which is clearly again satire of a war. Cult. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everyone else is just playing it straight. People versus bugs. <laughs> that's it. That's all it is. <laughs> and they miss like that's not what Starship Troopers is. That's not what makes it great. You know so, what I mean? if yeah. there was a fan fiction of Robo of the first Robocop movie that got the satire thing and just kept going with it, I might actually be into that. Maybe not. Maybe I would hate it, but I that could be a fake no, Evo. Yeah, that is the that is the best part about fan fiction is that you might hate it and you will hate it. Yeah, so you it's right. you turn into a basically a, what, uh, an editor or a publicist or a publicist for a, a major. That's where you start to feel like because right. you're like what what is this this oh, sentence structure? <laughs> and then you totally. go no, <laughs> and then you go to the next story and you're like hmm that much better and then you find something that's amazing and what you do is you follow that person and look at their recommendations and then you never stop and never ends so the harry potter fanfic was your lack what what have you done that's on track lately? 
Well, I feel like I was trying to think of something. I can think of something in particular, but I, I feel like I examining how I feel about the Coen brothers. I feel like that was my on track sort of thing. Really? I, I feel like I never know how I feel after I watch a film and then I don't watch them again because it's so, I don't know if it's emotional or more so disturbing. Most was of there stuff. something that you watched in preparation for this? Mm-hmm. That you were glad that you know what I mean. Like we're talking about three movies, but if if you were thinking about other Cone, was there anything that you were like, oh, this thing? I'm really glad I went back to it. Yeah, I well, I uh, um, is it is it Lewin Leland Lewin Lewin? Oh gosh, um, it's uh, inside Lewin um, because I had seen it fairly recently, and but maybe like a year ago or something, and then, but I don't like I usually don't rewatch. Coen Brothers movies unless they're it's like unless it's like Raising Arizona or something like that it's like easy like popcorn because I get so emotional and I don't know why sure so it was nice to go back over something that I probably after I finished it I was like I'll probably never watch this again but to examine what it is that I felt like I took away from it and then just to go deeper because I felt like I hadn't I didn't uh, I usually don't do that with their movies and I don't sure. I didn't know why but now hmm. I feel like I might know why <laughs> I, I feel like the opposite with Coen Brothers movies like Wait, I but have what to is your watch every single one? What is your movie style though? Are you a, like a serial rewatcher, or is it like a mm. lot of movies you just see one time? Because like my wife yeah. doesn't watch movies over and over again. Right, I've seen Aliens twenty thousand times. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she doesn't get why I do that. Right. So, what is your movie style? Um. Well, I, I, I had there are certain things, usually fun things that I rewatch. So something mm-hmm. like, you know, you like aliens so that I can't watch aliens is scary. But it's <laughs> something like, uh, you know, like the Matrix I saw a million times. Mm-hmm. I, watch, I just watched Logan, you know, a ridiculous amount of times in the movie good, theater. Right? Still good. Still good. Did you guys watch the black and white version? No. Who did a black and white version? Ooh. No, that, that was released. Oh. Yeah. If you get the, you, if you, there's a version of the Blu-ray release that Logan Noir, as they call <gasps> it, mm-hmm. is part of the. Oh, that's awesome. And it's all grayscale. The. Directed, no directed shit. That. He was like, he said he prefers that version to the color version. Interesting. And uh, a friend of the podcast, Jacob Knight, wrote a big piece about it for Birth Movies Death, where mm. he was like, "Oh, seeing this movie in black and white, I actually understand it more, and I think it's a better movie in black and white. Wow. That that yeah. actually the way that it's shot works better. There's a big difference. I mean, yeah, we're well, yeah no, I mean, like talk about you know, um, Fury Road. The black and white version of Fury Road is a far different experience." Now, didn't they also change the sound on that? Version? They turned it into a silent movie, but yeah, the visual aspect it, of it, it really. Wow! I love the visuals. Yeah, but I got annoyed because I like some of the dialogue. Oh, and I well, wanted to yeah, hear the dialogue's it. great in there, but you know, I don't yeah. know. sorry. I, I, I I'll go back to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we yeah. digress. We well, digress. No. It's one of those things. That, so there's a few movies that reach that level of rewatch per se. Yeah. Are those only? But there are movies that you love that you don't rewatch. Yes. Okay. And I think it's. Usually Tarantino movies and Coen oh, Brother yeah. movies. Mm. So I love them, but I don't want to watch that again because... It's a big emotional investment for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it took a lot a out of me. A little bit about Tarantino. Like, that's like Schindler's List. Like, how are you going to be like, yo, this is my favorite movie? Yeah. Because then it implies <laughs> that you've watched it multiple times. You sound <laughs> like that's an asshole. Thing. I don't think... I actually don't agree with that. I think you oh. can pick a movie that's your favorite movie or you think it's a great movie mm-hmm. and not rewatch it. Well, that's... What, really? Yeah. Uh, dude, it's like watch every movie twice, try every food three times. Like that's always the rule. Like if it's oh. gonna reach that level, I mean, I would. If I'm gonna hate food, I'm gonna have to have tried it at least three times. But I, but I think, I, I mean, perfect I, example. I get bitter what you're, melon. I get I what you're fucking saying. Fucking hate bitter melon. And how do I know? I've tried it 
three times. I get what you're saying to some extent, but um, I think we'll, I think if you push that too far, you get to the point where the only good movies are movies that are enjoyable to rewatch. And I actually think that all of the most rewatchable movies in my life are, are not good movies. None of them would be in the top yeah. ten. Period. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because right. mine, mine is Sandlot. The Sandlot, I just watched that over, and that is my t- that is like something I've seen a ridiculous amount of yeah. times. Wow. Because right. it is a fantastic film. I don't Do you love baseball says. or something? Nope. <laughs> I don't okay. need. I don't love baseball. The, the only <laughs> movie that would be, uh, I need to rethink about this because I I could redo my whole top twenty <laughs> every other day. But right right now, the only movie in my top twenty that I think is entirely rewatchable without any trepidation is Monsters. Because I love Monsters Wow. But like I've seen Goonies a million times. That's not even in my top 50 of all time. Mm. How is Goonies not in your top 50 of all time? But if you... St- Too racist. Oh. I was going to say, if you love it, then it should be in there. Because no, I'm, I definitely because put- my top is always going to be about, I think that the art is... And maybe this is why people think I'm an elitist. Because <laughs> you don't like Goonies? Why people think I'm an elitist. <laughs> not that- no, 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 I'm serious in that I, maybe, maybe for some people they're like, look... All my favorite movies are just all the movies that taste good immediately <laughs> that I can watch a million times. Like that's what makes it a favorite movie. And for me, um, it's kind of like okay, let's relate this to music. Okay. And maybe maybe I could say also we could separate favorite and greatest right. per se. Right. So like I might have a favorite hardcore record. Okay. That I listen to all the time. Right. But if you were like, what's one of the greatest albums of all time? Let's say top ten greatest. Yeah, I might gonna, not even think of that. That's not even on. Yeah, gonna even you're not going to put blood, sweat, and no tears. Yeah, because it's not because it's not amazing. It's just right. really satisfying. And then in you the love same it. way, yeah. there might be films that are really satisfying. Now, I will say, some of this is a little speculative because I have a more of an ability to rewatch depressing movies than normal people. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, I, I, I feel as though Schindler's we List. share this affinity for depressing movies as well. I've rewatched Breaking the Waves. Yeah, any Lars von Trier movies. Do not. Dude. Yeah, I think that's disturbing. I'm very disturbed right. by that. I've yeah. never. I watched it. I loved it. Yeah. I was like, I will never, never watch, watch this again. again. Did you see Dancer in the Dark too? I did, and I did the exact same did thing. Did it mess you it. up? Did you love it, or did you not love it? No, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, any. Uh, it's been so long because I feel, I feel like drama is so hard now because television is doing such a good job with sure, drama yeah. yeah um but yeah i mean there's there i mean there was a time when you know drama and film was like one of those things that'll like cut you mm, yeah. <laughs> the way something like breaking bad will do now for for you know for storytelling <laughs> but um yeah i dancer in the dark it's it's been actually i think i was in film school <laughs> the last time i saw it as a you know i'm 35 now so yeah. that was a long time ago i did not know that you went to film school i yeah, I studied for a little bit. I didn't finish, but I did go. Huh. Yeah. No shit. Well, thank God you <laughs> wanted to do our show. <laughs> I didn't. Just yeah, I didn't finish, so I can't explain. I do get really uh, upset about cinematography when something sure. is yeah. like. So that is the only time where I realize it's something that that makes me different from other film watchers. Mm. Is that I'll be like, I don't like the way the light is. You know, and yeah, everyone else no. is like, What are you even talking about? I'm just watching George Clooney, and I don't like <laughs> the way this light George. is hitting his head. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. We should probably keep going. All right. <laughs> okay. Josh. Yes, sir. What is your whacking on track? All right. Uh, on track, I saw Baby Driver. I found that to be very entertaining. Yes. I didn't realize at the beginning that it was referencing a Simon and Garfunkel song. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a song. Yeah. You know, but um, 
I really thought it was fun. It's not my favorite uh, Edgar Wright movie, for sure, but it's definitely one of my favorite movies that I've seen in recent history. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very compelling. I thought that the, the storytelling was pretty... I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I had issue with. Part of it is that like there's a lot of backstory that's missing on a lot of the characters that are key to the world. Did you see it yet? No. Oh. Oh, okay. wait. Paper Driver, yes. <laughs> wow. Sorry I got distracted. No, I get it, man. You should play on your phone some more while we're talking. Dude, I'm getting emails about Corey Feldman. <laughs> Does he know that you don't think Goonies is an amazing movie? I'll let him know. Oh, man. Brutal. I'll, I'll say, hey, you know what's better than Goonies? Baby Driver. The Lost Boys. Oh, snap. Mm. What would you say to that? I would, I'm backed. I can't even deny it. Mm-hmm. I, I love The Lost Boys more than I love Goonies. Mm-hmm. See that. Keep going. Baby, Baby Driver. Driver. Um, I have to edit all that out so I don't look so stupid. Right, right. A lot of editing. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, I saw Baby Driver. Yeah, so good. Did you did you enjoy it or what? Yeah, it's really good. I, what 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 did you find to be most? Did you see it yet, Jasmine? I have not seen it yet. Okay. So without I spoiling, don't it, want to spoil it. What did you think was? No, it's okay. Fairly compelling about it, or what did you find to be compelling about it? I thought that one, the color palette was very beautiful. Yep. I thought that like there's a very weird prime color element to the movie that mm-hmm. makes it feel very comic booky at times. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. uh, I I really like that 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 look. It, I mean, um, I'd say that uh, Junaid does the same thing in like Amelie and movies like this. Mick Max, another one, a very intense color palette. Wes Anderson's another movie mm-hmm. uh, director that does the same thing. Um, I thought it was interesting that Simon Pegg wasn't in the movie. I thought it was interesting that um, uh, the other guy wasn't in the movie. What's his name? Uh, Nick Frost. Nick Frost, not in the movie. But um, yeah, well, overall. They're not, they're not, it's not a Cornetto trilogy. Movie. It's not. But it, it's, they're, they're not in Scott Pilgrim, right? Or are they in Scott Pilgrim? Oh, I don't think they oh. are. No, they haven't. They, no. They're not going to be in his movies. They're only in the likely. Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. And they yeah. got other shit to do, man. He's I get it. They're stars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Baby Driver, thumbs up. Um, you know, a couple things. My issues were not enough backstory for, like, the, the principal players, like the girlfriend. and I'm like. Okay with that. But overall, pretty, uh, pretty pleasant movie experience. The it's, Big Sick is the next on-track oh. thing that I've seen. Have you seen The Big Sick? <laughs> no. So the big sick is the true life story of Kumail Nanjani and his wife, Emily. Mm-hmm. In the story, he falls in love with this woman who is not Pakistani. He's Pakistani. She's a white lady. And his family makes him break up with her. So he dumps her even though he's like in love with her. And then she goes into a coma. And then like he stays around like with her family who then know that he dumped her and they don't like him. And it's just... It's this brutal story that is totally true. And as a person who's followed the... Not, not totally, but close, Not totally true, close but it's to close true. enough. And Kumail Nanjani's playing himself, which, mm-hmm. as a fan of his comedy, and I love Silicon Valley, like, watching him go through these motions, you're like, yo, this sucks. This yeah. is, like, a terrible scenario to be in. It's hard. Yeah. And um, he, he takes it, and he makes it funny, and mm-hmm. I feel as though it's a pretty well-told story. Um, Zoe Kazan plays Emily, the girl from um, the other Paul Dano movie which I can't think of right now. Oh, um... The one where he's Ruby the writer. Sparks. Yeah, Ruby Sparks. And I hated that movie. But uh, I thought that she was fine in this movie. Disagree strongly, but that's fine. That's okay. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, another highly recommended movie, The Big Sick. It's, it's out now. And then uh, we saw Okja. Did you see Okja on, no- on Netflix yet? <laughs> the new movie by Korean director. Didn't watch any movies. I haven't been watching... <laughs> she was too busy watching Coen Brothers movies. <laughs> 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 so Okja is the movie by the guy who directed Snowpiercer and the hosts, um, Korean director. Uh, I thought it was pretty uh, pretty confusing. I didn't love it the way most people loved it. I don't think. Huh, that's but, interesting. Um, I thought it was okay. It's it's eerie and it's weird until the Swinton's strange in it. And um, yeah, 
It was just fine. And Brigsby Bear was the last movie that I saw that was pretty... It's by Kyle Mooney, who is on Saturday Night Live. And it's about um, this kid who is abducted when he's born from, a hosp- from the hospital. And uh, Mark Hamill and uh, I forget the name of the female actress, but they play his abductive parents. And they raise him in this fantasy world where he can't go outside. And the dude films this television show about a, a character named Brigsby Bear. And the whole, the whole movie is like he gets rescued and then he doesn't believe that nobody's seen Brigsby Bear because there's like hundreds of volumes that they've been making every week for him since he was born. He's 25 now. Um, I thought the movie is pretty interesting. It it's done by the Lonely Island guys. So it's like um, the dude from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and all that stuff. And like they're known for comedy stuff, but it is not a comedy at all. Sure. There are funny parts to it, but it is a tragic tale and it's, it's, um, it's mired in its own sadness. So it's like this dude who has no idea how strange he is in a world where that is now normalized and like he's trying to find a way to like relate to other people and he does it through the only way that he knows how, which is this thing that was given to him while he was abducted. So it's a strange ode to like outsider art, if that makes any sense. Sure. So I thought that was really, really good. I also saw Headshot and uh, The Belko Experiment. Those not new movies. Uh, Headshot was cool. Did you see that? Yep. Did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Ultra-violent movie. It's not... It's no The Raid. No, it's not The but Raid or does, The Raid 2, but, but it's pretty it does its good. own thing pretty well. Yeah, yeah it's a fun movie. Uh, and um, saw that in Belko Experiment, which I did not enjoy. Which I thought was... Uh, it was a, a weak shot at satire. Just is didn't. that your whack, or are you giving up on this format altogether? No, that is my whack. Okay. My whack is Belko Experiment. Yeah, so. I, I started it, and I immediately was like not stoked on it, but I, I need to finish it just to see what I think. Right, right. Yeah, it was fine. Also, um, other on-track stuff that I did, Kochiyama, my band, my new hardcore band, did our first show with Disappearances, and that was fun. Solarize played with uh, Mannequin Eater, a.k.a. Uh, Karl Kevorkian. Do you know this dude? No. He is an MC, and he raps with uh, Kamei, friend of the podcast who sure. goes by More Mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he raps with a bag on his head like an executioner, and he screams like dead guy. That's to weird. these, it was a wild show, and we yeah. played with him and Sheena and the Noseweeds and Weather. That was pretty fun. Played a uh, solo show with Early Riser and uh, the Homeless Gospel Choir and Child Savage. Went well. That was okay. Yeah. I didn't crush it, but I didn't suck either. So that's cool. And then Cross Keys played with Metroplex and uh, Dear Youth, the Jawbreaker cover band. Sure. And that was really fun too. It was a good time. So I feel like we could. I feel like you could do another like supplementary podcast just if you're whacking on track. Well, I do a lot of stuff, and I haven't seen you in like a month. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, and it's, I'm 100. <laughs> percent Like, we could release it on Patreon. Like, Josh is whacking on track <laughs> as a whole another like, show. It would be like 30 minutes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do a lot of stuff. Though. I don't think that's a criti- criticism. I'm, I think it's an actual pitch. Yeah, you have a recorder. You have a <laughs> I microphone. do. I do. You and should like literally once a week be like, all right. Here's the cool stuff I did this week. Here's what I did this week that sucks. And then we only release it to our Patreon supporters. Right. I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it on track Alvarez. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna call it. No. <laughs> because we want it to still be related to this show, so it, it should be something like whacking like, on track, like Cinepunk's Annex or something like something that's Fair like vaguely related. Vaguely. Yeah. Your well, turn. I as we've said many times, I'm I have a baby, so. <laughs> that's, um, you, Preface a lot of stuff. With that. Yeah, so I went to VHS Fest. Oh yeah, at the Mahoning. At the Mahoning, friend of the podcast, the Mahoning Drive. Yeah, 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 they're great. Um, I went to night two. Uh, the lineup was different each night, which is pretty cool. What'd you see? Um, I 
again, I have a baby, so I saw <laughs> so you one slept. movie. No, but I saw one movie of a four movie thing. Uh, uh, I tried. So the first movie they showed was a movie called Slime City, and the director was there. Um, and Slime City was cool. It's uh, as awkward as a film shot on VHS probably you would expect it to be. Wow. But um, when was it from? 88, 87, something like that. Okay. Um, shot in New York. Doesn't look like New York. Definitely shot in a poor part of New York that, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what yeah. the movie's about a little bit is, like, right. dude moves into this, like, super whack building and then all the whack people who live there. And then. Uh, it's it like turns, tenement? Yeah, but, like, not tenement. Like, you know, if you say an 80s tenement in New York, you're picturing a shitty part of Manhattan. Mm. This is, like, far Queens. Right. You know what I mean? And he moves. Well, this no. Did you see the movie Tenement? Oh, yes. Was it like that? No. Uh, and so he moves into this building, and uh, it slowly gets revealed that all the people in this building are actually, like, possessed by this cult that used to live in the Whoa. And the way that they take you over is you eat this weird yogurt stuff that actually is their essence. Yogurt? Essence? Oh, it's Gross. so stupid. It sounds so gnarly. And when he, whenever the spirit of the guy who's trying to take over his body takes over him, his whole body gets covered in slime. Ugh. And it's just gooey and dripping off of every part of him. And then he has to murder someone to make the slime go away. This sounds horrible. <laughs> it's great. Well, this is the thing. Okay, so the acting's not great. The script isn't great. But what, these <laughs> movies, what these movies always excel at is like irrationally good special effects. Like to right. the point where you're just kind of like... I think that's why a lot of people watch these sort of like... Uh, culty VHS movies is that like they're made they're very sincerely made yeah they're not trying to be schlocky at all and there are very effective things about them even if you know like it's not that the acting's like the worst thing ever but everyone in it there's no professional people involved in this production in any way yeah. you know um, anyway so Slime City was cool then the next movie was a movie called The Abomination and uh it was one of those films that uses a lot of flashbacks of the same thing over and over oh, again. Oh, man. <laughs> Every time he feels anxious, he sees it again in his mind. Uh-huh. And it just feels like padding. It feels like you didn't have enough footage, so you right. had these cuts in to like pad it out. Mm-hmm. Again, the special effects were cool, but there was also a voiceover. Mm. So I was like 20 minutes in, and he's still fucking talking over the movie. Jesus and Christ. And I'm like, yo, is this like Blade Runner? Like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on right now? So finally, I just... You know, I got a baby at home, so I jet it out. So, so that's like, like, I'm out. Peace. I've seen a couple of Slime things. City. Now, I've seen a couple <laughs> of things um, like that you mentioned that right. were cool. So I saw Baby Driver. That was great. Yeah. Um, I really, again, I really liked it. I know there's some, well, it's surfacy or it's this yeah. or whatever. But it, I, I just think the story was compelling and it was fun. And, right. you know, he wrote this thing in 1998. You know, like he finally got it made after sitting Pretty this awesome. thing forever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm into it. I, it. Do I think it's the same as like... Hot Fuzz? No, I no. love Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is amazing. Yeah, so it's, it's no Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's equal Shaun of the Dead. Equal to Shaun. So that puts Shaun at the no whoa. such thing. I think nothing's Hot Fuzz equal is to Shaun of the movie. Dead. I'm with Jasmine on this one. Yeah, man, dude. All right, so funny. wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I think the, the Shaun of the I Dead Hot Fuzz debate will go on for yeah. eternity. It's like the it's like the what is it the, um, well, the astronaut and the caveman sort of thing. <laughs> I, need, I need to do a rewatch anyway because everyone is of the opinion that The World's End is the worst of the Cornetto trilogy. Disagree. And I don't know that I agree with that either. Ah. I agree Wait, with so that. Do oh, you? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wait, so you think Hot Fuzz is the worst of them? No. I don't know. If you what? think all three are equal? I think all three are wonderful. No. It's hard for me to say. Yeah, they're, they're good films. You're obscuring right now. <laughs> You have to rank them. How do you rank? Yeah, them? you have to rank them, How man. To rank them. Rank them. Shaun of the Dead's number one. For Shaun of the Dead's number one. Just Very because 
Okay. And then because it's a full movie experience. That's one of the um, film books I read. It said that when you watch a movie, it should feel like eating a satisfying meal. meal. Okay. So, and that is what I think Shaun of the Dead does. It has everything. It does. It really does. And then I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Uh, World's End. Oh. So Hot Fuzz is your least favorite. Wow. Hot Fuzz is the least cohesive story of the three of them. So blatantly and obviously wrong. <laughs> now we have to do a Cornetto trilogy episode. Okay. Just yeah. so we can yell at each other. Challenge. Around. You have to have Corinne. You know? Do you know? You guys know Corinne? I'm sorry. Does she also know. works with? We. She does like some of the event I, stuff. Yeah. She's like I know. I okay. Know her in the world. Okay. Yeah. We've she. Met she. Yeah. She. I mean, her and Ariel. They both. They own all of those, and they talk about it all the time. They made me watch World's End, <laughs> and so you have to. Yeah. Right. We'll work that out. Sorry, I didn't mean to I'm do in. that. I want to, no, and I want to, and like I said, I do want to rewatch them anyway because yeah. the the common thought that I've encountered on the webs <laughs> is that the world's end is the weakest of the three. Right. And I don't know that I agree with that per se, but I do agree with the idea that Hot Fuzz is the best. Wow. Without any doubt. Wow. And then it's just a battle between Shaun of the Dead and the world's end. Wow. Even though Shaun of the Dead is what how they cultivated the the um just the feel of how their other movies went so that's the thing is well, that that's, that, that's the blueprint of whatever but all my other stuff feeling that on, on that is that that is an american view oh. by the time shawn of the dead because we all when, when you talk about shawn of the dead space, yeah so when you, when you talk about shawn of the dead yeah. americans are like yeah he came out of nowhere with this movie yeah everyone in england knew who he was basically at that point because, because of space there was he already two had seasons of it before yeah. that he did a bunch of TV stuff. He even directed like big specials over there. Like he was established in England. It was weird here because mm-hmm. we we're like, who the fuck is this guy? And why yeah. is this movie? When Charlotte Dick came out, I was so stoked to see it. And I still think it's a great movie. Right. I just think in the world of those three movies, I think Hot Fuzz is better. Wow. Whatever. I <laughs> Again, this would be this could go a whole yeah. other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we gotta, gotta we gotta move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because the last episode someone was like, I don't know, the intro is too long, and now we're going yeah, like, way longer. Dude. Okay, so All right. uh, the main on track thing I did with VHS Fest, I also saw Baby Driver and liked it. I liked Oakja way more than you did, but I think that's Oakja seems to be divisive. Some people mm. think it's really great, some people are like, it's fine. Yeah, but I I'm in the it's, it's fine camp. I think it's great, partly because I'm just enamored of the uh, animated pig. And right, mm-hmm. the pig is hilarious, so cute for sure. And I love it. Yeah, I wanna, yeah, yeah. I want to own it and I want to be friends with it. Right. <laughs> Apparently, that's what it's good at. Yeah, being homies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as far as uh, uh, whack, you know, again, I haven't gotten to, uh, whack is like all the shows I've missed. I haven't right. been to a show since before the baby was born. Yeah. Um, oh, that's not true. No, saw, you saw, saw Solarized. Solarized. Yeah. That's the only show you I've been to. You saw us at Break Free Fest. It's the only show I've been to since the baby was born. Um, I haven't gotten to see as many movies as I would like. Just things like that. Like, not getting to do stuff is a little bit right. on the whack side. Um, but on the, on the on track side, you have this beautiful baby at home. Yeah. No, I mean, that's cute. obvious, though. It's, it's more <laughs> as evidenced by all your unfollowers on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, no, I mean, people it's, hate it's baby obvious pics. to the extent that, like, because people always say that, like, well, but, you know, my baby. And I'm like, I just assume you love your baby. Like, everyone, yeah. okay. if you're listening that's to fair. this, you And you don't know. love your baby, we don't want you listening. <laughs> Elitism, son. No, but, Elitism. I do, but, I do, but I do think, like, that is a thing of, like, you know, breeders... Oh, most, most people who have kids, if you complain about the reality of having kids, they're not like, oh my God, do you not love your baby? Like, they just know, like, no, of course we love our baby, but this is hard. Yeah. Like, right. that's not, my loving the baby isn't at stake. And if I had to sacrifice, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice something in order to go to more things, 
it would be my job that took the hit, and that's not going to work out because that's how I feed the baby. So right. emotionally, I'd love to not show up for my job so much, but it's a real ass, real job. Yeah, which is yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah. I mean, if anything should take the hit, it's goddamn capitalism. Right. Which both me and my wife have to work real ass, real jobs. Yeah. Just to pay stay for away three from people baby. to live. Yeah. No. Three people. Shit's whack, dude. It's totally like whack. Got, it's not like we got six kids. We got. I know. Send them to college or some bullshit. Right. Not it's yet. All a, anyway, it's all that. Uh, I talked to my friends about that all the time. It's all a setup because we shouldn't the living wage and all that stuff i'm sorry i would just we've been, i've been thinking about this I mean, lately we, we and it makes no this, sense let's put this out there if you're a <laughs> cinepunks listener you should know that we do care about other things in movies right if we felt qualified we'd already have a <laughs> complaining about politics and the social situation podcast like that would be a podcast that we would have right but both me and josh are like no one wants to hear us about that. Right. Like someone else should do that show. We know about movies and punk rock. That's what this fucking podcast is. Civil society is coming on, though. Yeah. Oh, and, 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 and I, I'm more than willing to take that turn to plug that here. Right. Civil society, we're almost completely ready to launch. It should launch, honestly, next week. Right. It just has two more episodes to get up, and then we're ready to go. Pretty exciting. And that's a really great conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I, bringing that up, I think, is worth, like, I assume everyone listening to this is probably, an, you, may be, you may fucking love capitalism, you may be critical of it, that's not my point, but I think everyone listening that, to this is probably in a situation where you're like, how am I going to make my bills? How am I going right, to live? Right, right, right. How am I going to exist? Mm-hmm. Even as a nerd, like, <laughs> being a nerd is expensive. Like, being a movie not cheap, is that's not for sure. Cheap. And like I kind of hate that aspect of our culture to some extent, but I love especially stuff. collector culture. Yeah, it's collector culture a, within the 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 geek universe. Well, and that's why I think something like what you're doing here. Oh my God, we're already going back on that. We need to wow. move on to the comments, but just briefly, um, the idea of saying like because in some aspects of collector slash geek culture, there is a hierarchy where it's like if you're not willing to shell out the money for the real deal, expensive shit, yeah. you don't get to participate. And, and be one prepared of the things about not to know. Like, you can be a part of this thing and we're not going to say if you don't have 80 bucks to come to this event, you can't be a part of the conversation. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's a real thing in many places where it's like there's an economic barrier for people to just be able to love what they love. Yeah, right. that's a bummer. Cinepunks does not support that. We do not support that. <laughs> but we do support cool shit. So send it to us for free and we'll endorse it on our Yay. show. Yay. We still are prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways. All right. After so the break, we're going to come back and we are going to talk about Miller's Crossing. And we're going to talk about Inside Lewin Davis. And the man who wasn't there. I like that we almost forgot the man who wasn't there. I Since didn't forget it. I was just watching you. Anyway. Wondering if you were going to remember. Well, you skipped the order, though. I don't, you don't actually order? know what order. There is no hierarchy, order. remember? I think chronological order Whoa, is an acceptable hierarchy. Wow, whatever. <laughs> you had to say Time, chronologically? You, That's crazy. <laughs> Chronologist. <laughs> Chronologist. Yes, I am a Oh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> after the break, after the break. All right, bye.
get started all right and we're back and we're back so um <coughs> so why did you pick the coen brothers let's, let's talk about start that. with that i'd like to hear why you picked them and i'd like to hear your sort of history with them Ooh. yeah i even wrote that down in my notebook yeah <laughs> we took both, notes. He, he took notes i took notes as well because i've never done this before but i um wait a minute have you never done podcasts before uh i did uh not something so specific i did do I did one podcast before, but very recently I did um, Get Out. Oh. And we talked about it from a black women's perspective. Oh. We, we talked to the Michelle Mission. Um, so, yeah, but that was one of those things where it was like a very specific, but this was like, you know, this kind of a broad. A breath here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I um, so I picked the Coen Brothers because I had just seen, um, I just seen A Serious Man. Yeah. And I've never been so confused by a movie. Because usually when you're confused by a movie, you're, it's like this movie's dumb, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or or you can figure it out eventually. It's just it's a smart film, and you'll and you either catch up or you don't. But with this, I was just confused, mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to feel about it. And I was just like, they always do this to me in some way, sometimes mm-hmm. if, when it's not really broad, like the ones that are on my list of dislikes for them. Um, and so I kind of wanted. I like the idea of examining my how I feel about them and why it is there that when people ask me, even though there will be movies that I see that I will never watch again, mm. but I enjoy that when people that I, uh, I still record, I still say this, these are the best filmmakers of all time to me. The Coen brothers. Yeah. Best filmmakers of all time. I think so. So you're like a super fan. I think so. And, but Cause you, I realized I saw most of them, but yeah. you don't like a lot of them. I don't That's because so awesome. that, because I feel like, it's not about the they they are so advanced in their in their storytelling that they don't feel like they have to please people mm-hmm. and i respect that mm-hmm. more so than trying to please people in every film you make or what you know i feel like they do that the ones that i feel like they do people please are the ones that i don't like mm-hmm. so i think that's a really good point actually that they don't they're total for, like for directors who are that successful i mean think about like the lead up to barton fink right like right. so many movies that were critically and financially pretty good i mean you know you didn't bank on miller's crossing making a bajillion dollars yeah but it was you know then barton fink goes to can everybody loves it comes mm-hmm. out in america nobody sees it. it's their to that point biggest loss like right. that's crazy like so I, I think there's something about them being like mm-hmm. whatever we do whatever the fuck we want you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah amazing yeah i mean and that i feel like they're so confident and i think that's right. what just to your point of that is that you know, and I was watching some of their, you know, because they don't, they don't really, you know, they're not very <laughs> talkative. Yeah, no. But I, I found that. some cool. stuff on YouTube <laughs> for it to listen to, and I was, and I, you know, they, they were just in their own world. Like even talking to an interviewer, they were just sort of in their own head, and almost like they didn't even notice. They don't care to sort of pander to the audience mm-hmm. or to the cameras or anything or which is amazing opinion yeah it, it yeah. feels like awesome. they're in the lynch school of, of film explanation which is mm-hmm. it's up to you to explain the movie yeah yes. if you do an I'd interview also with them. them to like the brothers quay like that sure like post check stop animation like it's almost an art in and of itself 
Right. But you know what, though? Like, in, in the Cinepunk storyline, we really do appreciate directors like that. Like your Lars von Trier. Sure. Like your Jodorowsky. Huge Jodorowsky fans. You know what I mean? But, like, I, but I think that what's interesting comparing the Coen brothers to those directors is that Jodorowsky and um, Lars von Trier are making cinema uh, that is purposely obtuse to a certain extent. Oh, right. And I think with the Coen brothers, they they reach towards obtuseness for their own reasons, mm-hmm. but they have no problem making Hutsucker Proxy. Like, right. No part of them was like, guys, sorry we made the Hutsucker Proxy. They're like, <laughs> I, I get the feeling from them that they think that if you are like, well, I like the Coen brothers, but I don't like Hutsucker Proxy, that's your problem because they made a great movie. Right. right. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing I've ever seen them suggest was maybe not great is Intolerable Cruelty. And even that was still like, eh, it's still pretty good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think... I don't think they think any of their movies are great because they're super critical. Like they're mm. not affirming directors of themselves or of their actors. But also anybody. that makes them push harder, and that's right. why each movie achieves more and more yeah. as they come out. And I don't think they they think they've done it. Like I think y- your evaluation of it. I don't know that they think. Oh well, we made this one, mm-hmm. especially like something like uh, Hail Caesar. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what was the first Coen Brothers you remember seeing? Oh, yeah. Well, so um, I'm pretty sure it was Raising Arizona, even though yeah. I, what we were talking about earlier is that I went to film school and I worked at a video store for two years when I, sure. while I was at in film school. So I watched a lot of movies. And I think that's why I kind of have fatigue. We're just like, you've seen this movie, Jasmine? I'm like, I, <laughs> I, like, nah, I used man. to watch so many movies. <laughs> and now I'm, now I'm such a like, I'm kind of like, um, uh, like a food snob. I'm like, I only eat, I only eat the best of the best food so I have a sure. hard time just watching like you know just the um, regular McDonald's yeah. Happy Meals of, of movies well yeah but or just even the ones <laughs> that people are like this is supposed to be so good like Baby Driver I'm like I don't I need to see something that shows me I haven't seen anything yet that makes me want to see it so I'll wait until I see something that interests me or read an article yeah. that interests me and then I'll see it. I don't I, I don't I used to do that where I would go and see stuff sure. and, every weekend um, but so yeah Raising Arizona I'm pretty sure it was the first one I saw. And then when I saw Barton Fink probably on television, like on HBO or something as a teenager, I was like, what is this? Because right. <laughs> Raising Arizona was, I was like, this is a, I've seen something like this before. Mm. So I knew what to think about it. I just, I can consume it and be like, that was fun and weird and irreverent. Mm. Um, but with Barton Fink, I was just like, I don't even know what, I didn't know how I felt about it. It just happened. It was brilliant. And then it was over and I didn't feel like it was trying to tell me how to feel, which I wasn't used to with, with films. Cause that's the whole thing sure. about films. It's like you have a, you know, the whole, the three, um, act structure and stuff. Um, you know, you have to, you hit all those marks because you're trying to, you know, for whatever reason, if it's commercial or if it's because you're, you know, if it's propaganda, that is the whole point of right. putting, putting light and sound together mm-hmm. and making something. Um, so, but they, don't adhere to those things no and it's like and especially someone that studied film it's just like well what then why how is it you know it just sort of startles me every time i watch a film of theirs because they don't make well they make a lot but they it's not often that you are experiencing a coma like it's not like it's not like um like who gets startled anymore you know what i mean like yes that's that's exactly it it's like it's like not knowing something in a world of cell phones right like you can't just google it at the moment like the the notion of being like whoa what the fuck like that Mm -hmm. you get that from the coen brothers right which is i mean and the fact they're still doing it to me after all the at 35 of all the movies i've seen so i I just watched the last thing i saw was a serious man before i before doing research for this 
and I was like, <laughs> and I just was, you know, mind blown. Why? How? So many questions, and um, but yeah. still enjoying it. Why did you pick Miller's Crossing? Because that was the first um, one I saw where it was enjoyable, and I could watch it again. And but it was also irreverent and dark in a way. Um, and re- rewatching it, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite now that I've, I hadn't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, I think Miller's Crossing is was their most. Um, I want to say, yeah, I felt like they're most sort of well-rounded so that you could you could recommend it to someone who's not a film studies person. Because that's what I feel like with their films. Do you, it's like, do you have to be, a, you know, someone who understands like death perception and perception, you know, like, do you have to be that in order to even appreciate what they're doing here? Because if you're just a regular film goer, you might just be like, I don't, why am I watching this? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but with Miller's Crossing, I would say you get the best of what they do, which is the darkness. You get a lot of comedy yeah. and that quick dialogue, um, which is fun. If not, like, that, what are they saying? <laughs> um, I had a hard time with it. I had to watch it with the subtitles on. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. Just because, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, weird slang in there. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, like, twist. And the hi-hat. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. The you're hi-hat the business. I love what that. Is this? Like, there's no <laughs> idea. So I will admit to you that I never saw this movie until you oh, told us that we are going to okay. be watching this. Seriously? Yeah. And oh, you know wow. what it is? It's my relationship with gangster movies. I'm not a gangster movie fan. And you know what I read is you're that this movie came out when the, God, when the, the Goodfellas, Goodfellas came, came out. out. Same week, so right, it right? got yeah. lost in all of that new, yeah. which I'm not, I don't. Uh, not I, that big of a of a gangster. Ga- yeah, I've only I've, recently come to it, right. as in like the past five years. Okay, so wow. I only I just saw so Casino. I only just saw The Godfather. Here's like, the thing with me, but that's what so that's with me and gang. It's not that I would search out gangster movies in and of themselves because I don't find that in and of itself that interesting. Mm-hmm. It's that Godfather and Godfather Two are mm-hmm. two of the greatest movies ever made. So right. I was forced. I was forced right. to care about gangster movies, and then. I also think Goodfellas is, you know, one of the great, maybe not my top 20, but it's definitely a great movie. Mm-hmm. Again, gangster movie. It wasn't like I was like, yo, I want to watch a gangster movie. Put on Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> but on Scarface. It was like, yo, Goodfellas is supposedly pretty great, so I guess I'll watch it, and then yeah. it's great. You know, the thing with Scarface is that I'm a big Brian De Palma fan. Are you? And I think that might be my least favorite. Here's well, that's not true. Like, of his classic movies, it's still a classic De Palma, but it's my least favorite of his classic movies, whereas some of his most recent movies are obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, some people love them, for me are obviously not great. Right. Of those ones that it's like, De Palma, like really doing De Palma, yeah. I'm like, yeah, but Scarface, ugh, it's one note, it's <laughs> just not, it's not for me. I don't know, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just not for me. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's when, but, when you say like, oh, I'm not into gangster movies, I'm like, well, no, but see, I don't know that I'm thing. into gangster movies, but I can't help myself. Like the know? gangster movies that I have found that I have like really resonated yeah, 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 with yeah. me are like A Bronx Tale. Is that a traditional oh, gangster so movie? So goddamn good. Kind of not though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean? True. Like, yeah, yeah. And uh, what's another one? Uh, once Upon a Time in America. Huh? Once Upon a Time in America. Never saw it. Oh, man. Untouchables is another one. Because I was telling Melani while we were watching this last night, I was like... Also De Palma. Oh, well, there you go. I was like, I'm not really into gangster reasons. She's like, what are you talking about? You love a Bronx Tale. And I was like, (laughs) I do love a Bronx Tale. Yeah, but the traditional ones, like you mentioned, those are the big ones that everybody... And I'm not that big of a... And that's the thing that's... uh, And I guess that's what I liked about Melissa Crossing was that I don't particularly... I don't. I, when I watch Casino, I'm just not like blown away, but I know yeah. it's good 
filmmaking. filmmaking. But I'm, it's not one of those things where I would, it's not on my list or anything. Right. It doesn't touch me. I will say that I was yeah. blown away by Miller's Crossing. Were you? It I, was a I, I jump, wonderful cinematic experience. Oh, good. I want to jump into it. I want to really quick, though, check with you. What was your in with the Coen Brothers? What was the first the thing? Big Lebowski. I think I... I literally was about to say, was it the big? This is a horrible story. Do you know the story about how I watched the Big Lebowski? Nope, no. I don't. Are we going to do that now? Can I? It's such a yeah, compelling do story. It. Do it. No, do it. Yeah, do yeah. it. So, at the time, I was living in Bayonne, New Jersey, mm. and uh, I was in love with a woman who did not love me back. Oh my god! Which is fine. That's yeah. that's this you know, happens. That's not even weird. Which is fine though. <laughs> that said, she took me to a lot of like places that I wasn't comfortable in being. Most of them were in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Oh, that makes sense. At this one point, I was told that we're going to a soiree. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. Not exactly the party kind of dude. Mm-hmm. We go there, and everybody is doing cocaine. 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 And I have no idea what to do. Right. Because you're not interested in the cocaine. I don't even know how to smell it. Like, it goes in your nose. It's crazy. <laughs> so. You don't like the smell of coke? <laughs> Anyway, I'm watching The Big Lebowski, and I have nothing else to do, so that's what I did, and that's why it's one of my favorite movies of all time, because I was just like, oh, wow, okay, well, we're just going to watch Big Lebowski while all these people do cocaine. Wow. And you like that they had a Big Lebowski on while they were doing cocaine. Dude, and then I knocked over a thing that had all the thing on it, <laughs> because there was a magazine that was open. This was right when the first Lord of the Rings movie was coming out. I'm like, oh, look, Frodo, and I knock over a thing, and everybody's mad at me, and we had to leave. You spilled all the cocaine. You spilled, I spilled some cocaine. cocaine. I don't know. It was all of it. It was some of it though. And at that point, some cocaine is a lot of cocaine because right? <laughs> that's awful. like I don't know how much it costs, but <laughs> it definitely was not cheap. And yes. these like there's a bunch of skinny like Brooklyn hipsters. Right. That then I was like, first of all, let's also put this out there. I was in no danger of getting my ass whooped at all, mm. at all, because you know those dudes weighed like ten pounds each, wet with stones. Right, but, it's, but it's awkward to be there, and you're not—you yeah, don't and, want the you know, cocaine. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm sitting there, and I'm wearing a like kid dynamite T-shirt. You know what I mean? Just like this is awkward. <laughs> that was a great wanna... Big Lebowski story. That's that's I'm why it's that. my favorite I'm movie. That. And then so, <laughs> shortly thereafter, I broke edge on a white Russian because of the Big Lebowski. Of course you did. Of course you did. You fucking. I know, edge breaker. I don't actually care about that. The fact that it was a white Russian <laughs> kind of makes it a little more corny. So I'm like, really, man? You're one of but those? But is it not really fun? Oh, my God. You know that. So what's weird about okay. the Coen brothers is that I had actually seen a number of their movies, mm-hmm. but it was at a time when it didn't occur to me to care about directors. It's kind of like John Carpenter, right? Like, right, right, right. I didn't know who John Carpenter was, but, but I knew I liked Halloween, I liked Halloween, I liked The Thing, and I liked Big Trouble in Little China. And it was only later that someone was like, oh, so you like John Carpenter? And I'm like, who? What? Yeah. what? So Music? Who? Growing up, <laughs> I loved Raising Arizona. I saw Raising Arizona mm-hmm. when the videotape came out is when I saw it. I actually have a funny story about that movie, too. <laughs> let's real just, quick, let's real just keep, quick. Oh God. Tex Cobb lives in Philadelphia. Did you know that? Yes. So I I didn't see Raising Arizona until I worked at the TLA on Spring Garden before it closed. And he came in there. And Eric Bresler, friend of the podcast and Phil Mocha Mogul, yeah. was like, yo, you know who that is? I'm like, no, Tex Cobb. Oh. And he was allowed to rent for free at the TLA all the time because, and Eric was like, yeah, we don't charge him. He's like, why? Because he was in Raising Arizona. No, because this patron got upset with a person that was working there and Tex Cobb was standing behind him and he picked up a garbage can and told the dude if he keeps yelling he's going to hit him in the head with a trash can. Wow. Dude backed that off. That is a great And story. ever since then Tex Cobb rented for free at the TLA till they closed. Okay, that was good content. I was so yeah. ready to shut you down and be like, we gotta keep going, man. Dude, that shit is awesome. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I should watch Raising Arizona. And I did. 
And what did you think? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I had seen Racing Arizona. I had seen Fargo. I had seen uh, Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah. As a kid, didn't mm-hmm. occur to me that those movies were related to each other at all. They were just right, separate right, experiences right. I had. Right. Fargo was high school, but it yeah. still was like, oh man, this movie Fargo is so crazy. Can yeah. you believe it? And it, uh, 100%, it wasn't until Oh Brother Where Art Thou. So Oh Brother Where Art Thou is coming out, and they're like, from the makers of Fargo. And I'm like, like wait, what? And yeah. then I look, and that was the beginnings of the internet where you could look things up, and I'm like, these guys have made a number of movies I enjoy. <laughs> Whoa, that's crazy. Like uh, It was like this new thing to care about that that, that had not occurred to me before. Right, yeah. And so suddenly, uh, that Oh Brother Where Art Thou was my end to caring about them as directors. And then after Oh Brother Where Art Thou, it was like, I guess I'm going to see every Coen Brothers movie, yeah. which not that long after Over the Rock Thou was, for me, the great betrayals of, of Intolerable Cruelty and, and the Lady, and Lady Killers. Killers. The they only two all, Coen yeah. Brothers movies I truly dis, dis, dis It's almost like they did that to show people that art is fickle and, and, yo, and unreliable. I, yo, they're they so, use resources I, just to make that statement, so much respect. That's all I'm going to so say. meta I that, that I almost movies. could believe that. Okay, yeah. so uh, we chose, as we said, three movies to discuss. Let's start out with Miller's Crossing. Miller's we've been Crossing. talking about it a little yeah. bit. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it is uh, their third film, mm-hmm. right? So Blood, Blood Simple, Simple, which Raising. I didn't enjoy. I'm going to put oh, that out there, too. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Blood Simple. Francis Somehow. McDormand. Yeah. It's their first one. Then yeah. Raising Arizona, second film. Huge Wacky second movie. success. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Hit, yeah. Crazy. And then they get this budget to do Miller's Crossing. Right. Right. Which, wow, what a movie. I it mean, is a sumptuous movie. <laughs> I the, like it really that. is. The man. performances I mean, are unbelievable to me. Yeah, like, dude, Gabriel Byrne is so good in So that? good. John Turturro is so goddamn He's good. He's so in shitty in that movie. It's so oh. great. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, and Albert Finney. Albert Finney, yeah. a young... Yo. I haven't, I've never seen Albert Finney... Uh, <laughs> He's at, never been young. He's like Morgan Freeman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like seeing that version of Albert Finney, it's like, what is going on? And it's like someone took Albert Finney that I know and just stretched his face back. Right, know? right, right, right. <laughs> um, Dude, the scene in... One of the most striking scenes in this movie for me is when Albert Finney is in the room and Danny Boy is playing. He's smoking the cigar. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God, but... In that scene, when the smoke comes up through the floorboards, yeah, mm-hmm. fucking unbelievable, right? I mean, even his seeing him so spry when he's murdering the people who've come to murder him, yeah, and, and he's, he's just, just like so a, he's like some sort of gangster ninja, like Ugh. he's just gotta like slip here, do that. <laughs> oh, you're here, whatever. I, don't I told Milani I needed gonna... a smoking jacket after. I, saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that smoke, was, nor yeah. do I have slippers, but I totally would wear a smoking jacket. <laughs> and I like the way that the Miller's Crossing. And this is a theme in Coen Brothers movies is that they are referencing and paying homage to other films, but never in like a direct, it never feels to me like they're remaking someone else's bullshit, but they're always pointing at other movies like, oh, we're going to take from here, we're going to take from Mm -hmm. there. But what they're doing is totally unexpected. I mean, in a way, Miller's Crossing reminds me a lot of Yojimbo. Like it has a very Yojimbo vibe to Mm -hmm. it, you know, because, but the difference is with Yojimbo, I'm more inclined this is an interpretive call but I'm more inclined to think that our man knows what's going on the whole time that he right. is playing all these whereas in this movie at the end when he's like this was the plan the whole time I'm like I don't was believe it though, you Gabriel Byrne you I think Gabriel Byrne you've been playing up by the seat of your pants this whole time and it just <laughs> happened to work out yeah. yeah. but the movie doesn't 
force you to make a call. Like the yeah. movie's kind of like, which is what they do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So watching that again after having after watching all their other films because it's one of those things too where sure. you're like, you realize that they are responsible for a lot of films that you saw as a kid or yeah. a young adult, and then you're like, I feel like everyone goes through. Well, everyone that's our age goes through that where we're just like, well, I'm a fan for life, mm. and then you go and then go back and see something you haven't seen in a while, and you're like, they never want to tell me what to think and it's right. frustrating because <laughs> i don't know what gabriel burns character uh i don't know if he was just sort of off the he's just that because we don't meet we don't know anything about him before the movie starts yeah so is he just really good on his feet <laughs> or was this uh would he write this whole thing down mm. the only part that made me think that he was just really good on his feet was when uh john Turturro comes back and then he jumps down <laughs> to oh, yeah. to yeah, take yeah, yeah. care of that problem. Yeah. And I was just like, he doesn't, I was like, wait, is he not in control? Now I feel like I'm out of control. I feel, yeah. like, I, feel like I don't know what's going to happen now, which is what they do really well. With well, and I think that's how the Coen brothers use violence oftentimes. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a small extent when I'm watching the movies that I think they just enjoy it. Like they enjoy putting violence in their movies. But yeah. I think it's also a way of unsettling your audience because nine times out of 10, they very rarely use violence in a way where you're like, oh, here it comes. Yeah. Oh, I know. It this always story. comes out of nowhere and it never feels, it, it's gratuitous without feeling so. Which yeah, is, which is like, how do they do that? I yeah. don't understand it. Yeah, it's kind of genius, actually. I tried to examine it with this when, when I watched this film last night and I was like, I don't like even the scene where, uh, what's the guy, uh, Casper? Yeah. So you don't see the confrontation, but he goes up. And even though you know something's happening, the reveal of him and he's kind of like upside down because yeah. that's the thing they keep yeah. you off. They everything's off kilter, mm. so they so the framing is so bizarre. Yeah, and so even though you know something, you know like you're catching you up the to the main character, you're stuff. like, I yeah. think I might know what's going on here because I forgot. <laughs> I always forget. <laughs> I was I was still like. <gasps> You know, I still gasp like I've never seen a thriller or action movie or any violence before in my life, which right, is like right. most movies you watch like that. It's just like, you know, you expect it to come. You're just like, well, it. yeah, this is the thrill of watching a movie. <laughs> and yeah. but I actually was like, <gasps> um, and it's just like I don't, and I think it's the their their reverence that they have. And that's the thing that I, I was writing down, like all these things was that because they're combining all of these uh, uh, filmmaking or genres it's that is what makes it experimental and that's what's keeping us off kilter so that we can enjoy the action more enjoy the sure. drama more because it's it's drama action suspense thriller romance screwball <laughs> comedy and then it they and it is a subversive yeah and it's the point is to be subversive mm -hmm. and so it's just kind of like yeah so that's the thing you know you have this like john is like hilarious but he's also like ominous yeah and this shitty yeah like threat right there's and, this there's this feeling too with um with this movie, but with all their movies, that there, uh, there has to be some aspect that's ridiculous. Right. There has to be some gag, and I, and mm. I feel like no matter how serious they get on a movie, there's some part where you're like, God damn, what? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. But that's what I've come to accept, expect as a Coen Brothers thing. Yeah. Like, just yeah. there's always the one cog spinning wildly out of control <laughs> in this otherwise do you like, like that about it though i love it okay I love sometimes it, it takes so me much. out of the film and that's oh, why yeah. i have a, such a long list of things that i of ones that i don't like because mm. it'll take me like i'm you know you're it's invested too far. and then it goes right out yeah what do you think is the most prominent example for you of the cog spinning out of control that then takes you out of the movie uh, oh, well, out of a movie that I like or out of a movie that I don't like? Well, <laughs> I just think that, that where, the, where for you, that aspect of the movie is the problem. Um, is the problem with the movie. Um, I think 
Well, okay, so Burn After Reading is on my list of dislikes, technically, even though it's a well-done sure, film. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, and I think it's probably one of those things that's in there only because I didn't like in the grand scheme of the ones that I do like. So it wasn't, it didn't make it into the, like, folds sure, of the ones yeah. that sure, I sure, love. Sure, yeah. Sure. And I think it's just, what is it? What? So what is the Was thing? Was it Brad Pitt? <laughs> no, I you know, I can never say no to Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what's going on. Who, who, who can? Me neither. Me neither. To why, be fair. Why is he so well made? I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's well his, that's his only power. <laughs> I don't even know if he's a good actor, but I but I look at him. I'm like, I don't care. That's yeah. fine. Um, uh, so I um, I think because I think if there's too much screwball is the thing. So okay. with Burn Out the Reading, there's too like there's too many screwball characters mm-hmm. there's right. it's like every, you know and so now i just i don't know like i feel like i'm watching a circus right <laughs> and i feel like that's the thing that happens with a lot of the ones mm-hmm. that it, that's what i don't like about oh brother where art thou is that it's like what is going on here there's so many <laughs> weird things but I, you I, know what i will say that that was my complaint about hail caesar yeah really hail caesar has that uh, like now that you mention it and i think mm-hmm. on it like you know what that was the one thing because i liked hail caesar but oh, okay. that was like the one thing about Hail Caesar that like that did rub me the wrong way that there's all these like and like you know it's supposed to be after a real person but then you have the anarchists and you have like all like these other weird factions that mm-hmm. that go to make the mosaic of this movie right and all those different little notes don't always blend in a way that makes a good story that's the thing and I think now that yeah. you mention it now that I think on it yeah that's what it is yeah which, huh. I, can't believe, you know. I can't believe you corrupted my man <laughs> I just had an epiphany just now that's what happens dude yeah. corruption that's what, <laughs> it's when, you're, when your mind is open son yeah keep your mind open Closed. man <laughs> Close. my, I, I mean my mind is open uh-huh. only to how great the Coen brothers are yeah. fair <laughs> enough fair enough um, but, no I, I, I will say that I think Oh Brother Art Thou is lesser Coens mm-hmm. um, I think that people lift it up a lot because of the music and Clooney and because Clooney and because some of the performances are really actually really great in it. Yeah. But the story is not that great. And right. I think what it's trying, well, it's what like it's, what Ulysses it's supposed to be retelling of Ulysses. What it's trying to do with that. I don't think is entirely successful. Yeah. Right. Um, Agree. But I still love it. And, right. and it's again, I, I don't know that all their movies are perfect or anything like that, but See my, the my only one is that the Big Lebowski is a perfect movie. <laughs> I don't I'm think so I'm, ready for this conversation, Jasmine. I'm so scared that you're going to corrupt me some more. <laughs> on the Big, on the Big we, we have a Cinepunk shirt that is a Big Lebowski shirt. Goddamn! I mean, we can make the side turn to Big Lebowski if you want, but that's. I mean, technically, we're not talking about the Big Lebowski. Yeah, you're right. You're oh right. yeah, that's right. But oh, because I didn't. Want. I didn't drop that bomb though. That's why. Let's go ahead. Let's go bomb. ahead and own it. Yeah, and say. Dude, I just have to know what. What is it about the Big Lebowski <laughs> that rubs you the wrong way? I don't, I'm not, I don't care about these characters. I don't care about huh. any of these characters. I feel huh. like it's one of those movies where I, because I worked at a video store, so a lot of, I worked with a lot of guys, of course, and it was just very like, oh, Lebowski, it's the best there. And I, just, and I was like, this has to be so good. And then I watched it, and I was like, I... I don't. I couldn't even tell you what happened in it. I didn't understand. I didn't really understand what was going on. It's one of those things where, with the the list of dislikes, it's like I. It's almost like they've gone so far into like experimental screwball territory, and they didn't include the other stuff that they usually have, which is, I guess, what anchors it for me. Mm-hmm. So I just couldn't. Um, I just felt like a. And I wouldn't usually say that because I don't like when people say chick flicks. Right. But every once in a while, there'll be a movie kind of like 
we were talking about Fast and the Furious, where even though I like action movies and I like John Wick and stuff, it's I'm not. It's just too I, testosterone. It's too, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get the expendables. Like, I know, you know, I don't get it. So I, I mean, didn't get it. Part of my soul dies when you compare the expendables <laughs> to Big Lebowski. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. They're definitely not this day. But it, I also I like the to call it the expendables. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> No, I get what you're saying. It is a very, it is a very male movie. Yeah. And the strongest female character is a caricature of female characters. Yeah. Like yeah. she almost isn't female in the way that she was presented, even though she's obsessed with Being the female. vagina. Yeah. She, her presentation is this like unemotional, unconnected. You know what I mean? Like in a mm. way, if you compare her and the uh, and Lebowski's relationship. He plays more of the stereotypical female to her male, right? Mm. In that yeah. he's trying to connect, and she just doesn't give a fuck about yeah, it. She just wants the baby, you know, yeah. and she's operating on this higher level and not giving him all the facts and all this stuff. I'm like going to blame your coworkers on you not liking that movie. You think I got gassed up? Got, I think that they yeah. gassed you up, and the movie isn't a gas up movie. The movie is it's, it's a th- chill to me. And granted, I was watching it with high intensity because I was trying to <laughs> ignore all the illicit drug use going on. <laughs> such an interesting way it's all like the weird little minutiae of that movie just all the strange uh, all the strange like dialogue in that movie and there's so many lines that are ridiculous if you so think about yeah. it I will uh, I, I see what you're saying that there's more screwball there than other things that they do well mm-hmm. however for me it's more that that is the perfection of their screwball right mm-hmm. and it's yeah. better in that way than Hail Caesar which is also screwball but, but is not as grounded and is not as witty I think and no Ben Gazzara who let's True. be honest I love Ben Gazzara <laughs> True Dude, the only reason I watched Buffalo 66 was because of him. Okay. Not important. Totally <laughs> tangential. Nope. Back to Miller's Crossing. Not even Crossing. one of the movies we're talking back about. Back to oh, Miller's yeah, Crossing. We weren't even talking about the right movies. No, but so but, anyway, back to Miller's Crossing. Yes, back to Miller's Crossing. Um, what did what did you think about, like, so it it's a big point of contention that there is all this referencing going on. Does that, as a person who appreciates film, or the person that you are that appreciates film, does that play into your adoration of this movie or does it detract like do you like for me i don't give a shit about all the referencing i don't because i've never seen those movies right which you should do something about some of those movies what it's not like i run a podcast about movies (laughs) god but you should i mean and and i don't even i'm not like i've never seen the third man i'm not saying that in the sense of that i'm above like you should do it because i've seen all of those movies (laughs) but i think it is worth it's worth acknowledging because I hate when I'm listening to a podcast and they're like, I've never seen whatever. And they act like that's fine. Yeah. If you have a movie podcast, you should see, well, but see but that's the classic movies. You just should. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen, I've seen the third man, but like there's other references in there that like when I was reading through it, I'm like, Oh, I've never seen that one. I've never seen it. And part of that I think is true for both of us. Our golden age is mm-hmm. more the seventies and the eighties. Yeah. And to 40s go back fifties. To yeah. go back to the forties, fifties, even like the thirties for mm-hmm. some of these things. Yeah. That's, that's a that's a stretch for us. Yeah. That well, doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but there's we should at least know the hits. Granted. You know what I mean? Like what, what do you think that is see, because when I think about that, I feel like the modern counterpart to this is the Tarantino method of making movie. Where sure. it's not who's the most creative, it's whose references are the most obscure, which is a line that I didn't just think of right now. I use it often. I'm not that smart. Okay. But in in 
this constant referencing in a Coen Brothers movie like Miller's Crossing, whereas in Tarantino movies, it's so obvious. In, in Miller's Crossing, it just seems like it's of that world. Well, because they're not paying homage. Their referencing is not... I don't think those movies are designed to say, if you don't know where I'm coming from, you're not going to understand this movie. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think you have to know those movies yeah. to appreciate a Coen Brothers Because I definitely I didn't. Yeah, I, you, yeah, said, yeah, yeah, you yeah. said that you're not... And I don't... I yeah, I think it's more just, and it's, and I don't think they're doing it in a way even where it's like if you do see those movies, then you'll get more texture. So, like mm-hmm. for example, um, this is a weird reference, but I think it works. Uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Right. Ooh. If you know the classical music references he's making, then you actually get more meaning. There's something there for you if mm. you know those songs. Right. It deepens the meaning of the film. For the Coen Brothers, if you're like, oh, this is kind of like from the Third Man. <laughs> It's just a. De- it doesn't mean anything, right? With it Tarantino, I would you say don't the, know those movies. I think it's the opposite. I yeah. think the more that you know the movies you're referencing, the less you love Tarantino because yeah. Yeah. sometimes it's such a clear ripoff that you're like, I'd rather just watch Lady Snowblood actually yeah. than yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make his movies bad, but I don't no. think it's like I watched. If you're like, I watched, uh, I don't even know what's a good one. Any Let's Sonny say, Chiba movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Or if you watch one of his movies and you get all the things he's drawing from, I don't think it makes the movie better, per se. No, if anything, it lessens the trope. It feels like it a little bit, whereas like yeah. every Tarantino movie I've watched where I didn't know anything he was borrowing from, I didn't, it was mm-hmm. totally right. blank slate for me. Mm-hmm. Those movies, as far as I was concerned, were the best fucking things. It doesn't matter. He's mixing, you know what I mean? Like, it's great, you know? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I like what, that. What did you think about the hat uh, in Miller's Crossing? Oh. Can we talk about that for a moment? Sure. What did you think about that? I, I was trying to pay attention to it, um, because I, rem- I, you know, it was one of those vague things I remember from when I first watched it as a kid, and then I, and then I was just like, is this not going anywhere? Mm-hmm. With I thought it was one of those things where, which I feel like they do a lot, is they just sort of just introduce something to sort of like hold you where you think this is gonna what's gonna be about. So pay attention to that, and they're like, no, it's I, not <laughs> a thing actually. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, what did you have? Strong well, I mean, well? Liam sent sent me this thing where they talked about how, um, you know, Tom in the movie, he always has the hat and it represents his protection of his property, which is his brain, right? Because he's, uh, the whole movie, they're uh, like, you're a smart guy. Yeah. And every time he gets in trouble, the hat goes away. Mm-hmm. Like when they walk him into the forest, um, the, <laughs> what's that dude's name? Um, the, Dane. The, Dane. the Dane takes the hat and he throws it away. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then they start beating him until they find the body. Right. right? Yeah. Or um, in the scene when um, he gets jumped by the bookie in the stairwell. Yeah. The hat comes off and they beat him up. And even right? the fact that he's looking for it in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And so he desperately. Loses it to Verna. Yeah. Then, you know. It's almost like he's lost his head with stops her. Stops yeah. his brain. So like that that line is pretty easy to, to consider. Mm-hmm. But also part of me is like, I don't know if the Coen brothers did that shit on purpose. <laughs> Which is what they always do, which is what fascinates me about them. But this is what I, I, my thing with the Coen Brothers, I think they do all those things on purpose, Mm -hmm. but it's not an interpretive key. Like sometimes when you read, so like a a great example for me, we're going to get there in a little bit, with the Lewin Davis thing. Right. There were so many articles being like, follow the cat for the secret clue to figure out inside Lewin Davis. And I think like, yeah, thinking about the cat, meditating on the cat is interesting. The yeah. same way that meditating on everything in a Coen Brothers movie. The same way that but meditating on the cat and meet the parents is interesting, right? Like, <laughs> I think there's more than that. I think they add layers. So the hat thing, even the idea like, you know, what's the line? What, what kind of fool chases his hat? Or you look like a yeah. fool chasing your hat. Only I a fool chases his hat. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that that's not meaningless in the sense of they just threw it out there and it's just a crazy coincidence that there's all these hat themes but the idea that if you 
but that the, the Gorin brothers sponsored but, the movie. Yeah, but the idea that tangle. if you figure out the hat themes, then all of a sudden you'll get to the true philosophical yeah, core tri- is no. a waste of time. They don't have a true philosophical core. Yeah, they, no, I agree They, they I do agree things because they're like, oh, let's keep this going as a theme. But mm. I don't think they do it in a way that's supposed to be like, if you if you unlock the clues. Yeah. You know, like a Coen Brothers movie well, is not I mean, national that, treasure. There's no like, <laughs> I've read all the texts and but now I know no, where the treasure but is. But if there's no philosophical theme, what is the point of going on this uh, ideological trip? I, I don't think the, I think there, um, I think there are ideas in their films that are philosophical, right. but I don't think they're interested in like, okay, well, Exploring if, you, that if philosophy. you really think about the hat, then the hat is going to reveal something. <laughs> but I think that is part of what I would say is part of their philosophy is that there is no inner meaning to anything. Right. Like I, I generally think, uh, well, it's not that they're nihilist, which a lot of people say Coen brothers are the most nihilistic filmmakers. Like that's another hot yeah. take article you see. Please. It's not that they're nihilist, but they, they do believe in meaning, but that meaning is not tied to a meta meaning. Right. So like, or that meaning isn't the, the, the point. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that like people love each other, that we live in a society, there are wrongs that happen. There are also good things that happen, Mm. but none of that is part of an overarching sort of thing. At Mm. least not, my understanding of their movies, I never get the feeling that it's like, well, we made this movie because we want you to get this point. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't I mean, think that's think what's about going like on. No Country for Old Men, right? Where the entire crux of the emotional and intellectual content of that movie is in the last two minutes. Sure, right? Like, so there are all these things, and even then, is that I I haven't read the book, so I also don't oh. know what their relationship is to their source to text. Yeah, yeah, so is it that Cormac? Are they representing Cormac McCarthy? Are they deconstructing Cormac McCarthy? I don't know. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And that's that's kind of the same with Miller's Crossing and the hat specifically. Like, there's there another thing that we read, and that thing was like, oh well, it represents the darkness that's in Tom. Like, mm. whenever he does the things that he does. Mm-hmm. The darkness is what covers him, and that's what the hat represents. And mm-hmm. like, I get it, but I also mm-hmm. don't really feel like pulling on that stick. I just think that's a I mean? hard. Like it's kind of dumb. I think it's a hard reach, and I think what's, well, it's what's a hard reach because it's like people looking for something that isn't there to try and justify it being. As opposed to just saying like, "Hey, it's this a fun, a intricate story. Yeah. It deals with human themes of betrayal, but it doesn't take them." ultimately that seriously and it really gives us this charismatic character that weren't they never clarify for, for you who tom is right that you they can never really give all you a backstory on him yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah but it's like tom is he trustworthy is he not trustworthy? i mean clearly tom thinks he's not worth much like really? what we get is what tom thinks of himself hmm. but his actions are mixed he sometimes shows compassion he sometimes doesn't he's right. sometimes very tough and cruel and other times he's not so yeah. i don't think they're interested in like solving that for you in a way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Side well, note, how cool was it when Sam Raimi was in the movie? So good. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. That Yeah, that scene was so like... <laughs> that's another one. That's like one of those cogs. Yeah. Like that scene, the three scenes that they highlight was the one where um, where um, Albert Finney is shooting the dude who then dances around for an inordinate amount of time and he shoots <laughs> his feet and he's the gun and he's just doing yeah. the, the tango. That's one. Yeah. Two was that scene with Sam Raimi. Right. Because it serves literally no purpose. Mm-hmm. It just, he shoots the dude and then like, you know, then there's the shootout and then they mm-hmm. just cut to the rest. Right. They could have just easily said it. I mean, it's I, mean? Just, I mean, that's the thing. Like, just like where you're saying, um, you could, if you wanted to go down that road, it could be about the extreme violence and the hypocrisy right. of that right. time. Right. Yeah. Of the idea of like, of the idea that there are no 
like everyone's a gangster that the police are gangsters that they're yeah. gangsters you know so mm. it's like you could if you wanted to because that's what I kind of got from it. it it went to that and then it cut to another scene really quickly right. it was like that's okay that's not really even though another movie that would have been the whole movie right. yeah. <laughs> and no, that's what I think right. they do really well they set up all these even just the side characters like Steve Buscemi's characters like what's going on with this guy yeah and you could you could follow every that's the thing I finally figured it out you could follow right. every side character on their journey and be so and be just as interested as the character you're with and and it's just and the fact that they're gone or you're never going to see them again is, is almost like you know yeah. it's disappointing sure. especially in, in the Steve Buscemi case like that dude's mm-hmm. in one scene and then he's <laughs> a dead body like it's genius yeah (laughs) but it it does it is interesting too that uh a lot of their movies follow this kind of like legendary tall tale-ish sort of thing yeah this feels like a story that gangsters would tell each other like well then this happened but then you won't believe it this happened like it just keeps building on itself in that way yeah pretty awesome even even uh, albert finney's um escape yeah it's just one of those things that somebody with a a character a character like that would tell his friends right that's he or maybe he just got out yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that it was just such. A, but as an audience, you watch it and you're just and you're like blown away by the effects. And you, but mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're taken out of the film because it. Once again, I feel like all the other genres that they inhabit brings it back in. So it's not you know it's not spiraling out of control. What um, did What did you think of the Verna character? Um. Uh, what was your What did What was your response to it? I, watching it again, I was more I, I thought it wasn't gonna I thought she was gonna be sort of the stereotypical sort of um dam, damsel but also like she's cruel she's That's so weird. she's not worth, yeah. yeah um but I thought that she was um I actually felt more for her uh the second time I thought she was um I thought that she was just trying to survive and I thought she was her her arc and her the, the way they fleshed out her character was better than I anticipated it being especially because mm. usually you know just like with Big Lebowski I feel like I don't get a lot from the female characters and a lot of um, movies directed by men a lot of times um, but she I don't know and at the same time I didn't I, it wasn't about her so I didn't feel like I needed her to be a lot for me I mm. you know and I yeah. um, and it's I mean it's always disappointing when the women aren't as interesting as the men and she was mm. interesting but she didn't have the the textures that even the Dane had. Right. (laughs) So I see. I found her to be pretty compelling because she, to me, she's one of the truly conflicted individuals in the movie. Right. And without her, the whole movie couldn't happen. Yeah. So to me, I thought that she was pretty, pretty interesting. Like she caught my eye a lot. Especially. I think she's useful to the plot, but I don't think she has uh, in comparison. Right. um, We're after this going to talk about the man who wasn't there. Right. And his wife. What is her name in that movie again? Uh, I always forget. I don't remember. Oh, we'll have to look, <laughs> exactly. Look it up in a sec. <laughs> no, but I think she she actually has a little bit more going on to me because he doesn't quite understand her. He doesn't understand why she loves him or doesn't love him. Right, right, right. He doesn't understand their life together. So even though there's less there in the sense of there's not a lot of. Uh, backstory on her but in that movie the absence is the character yeah 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 right? that there's like, there's something more compelling for me in that than in verna who she's not the total stereotype but she doesn't get to do much she doesn't get to yeah. have much agency and uh uh with a man who wasn't there it's just interesting because so many people are present in their absence yeah you know the people who so keep talking so much are the ones who you're kind of like 
oh, this guy. There, whereas the people who don't say that much are actually there's more to them, you yeah. know. Right. So let's let's move into it. Let's let's get into the man who wasn't there. I just want to finish up by saying, if you haven't seen Miller's Crossing, you should see Dude, it. It's really good. If yeah. you haven't seen it, you're fucking up. And I can say that because I didn't see it till. <laughs> That's awesome, though, that you got to see it fresh. Yeah, dude, it was great. Totally awesome movie experience. Yay. So, you know, I, I appreciate that. It's a good <laughs> time. Yeah. So go ahead. Man Who Wasn't There, shot sumptuously in black and white. Yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and start by saying this is my favorite Billy Bob Thornton movie. Yeah, no, hands down, my favorite Billy Bob Thornton movie. I liked it better than I liked Sling Blade. I definitely liked it better than Sling Blade. Yeah. Um, but I liked Sling Blade too. I'm not going to say I'm not going to be one of those dudes like Sling Blade. Whatever, fuck that movie. It's not no, as, that movie is good. It's not as rewatchable as Bad Santa. <laughs> I've never seen Bad Santa. I actually kind of or love Bad, Bad Santa, Santa too. Never seen that. I'm not interested in a sequel to that. Movie. <laughs> but but uh, but uh, but Bad Santa is actually pretty good. I think. Right. Um, but to me, this is his greatest performance. Um, his Ed Crane it's really great because the movie seems to be about how Ed Crane doesn't exist right that Ed Crane doesn't isn't in his own life he's not present in his own life he's not present in his job in his marriage that seems to be what the movie's about mm. and yet my man ends up having so much going on right. that you can have this character who is actually a whirlwind of other people's passions and other people's issues. And in the end really does have a lot of agency and is doing mm. a lot of things. Yeah. Um, even if some of those things are horribly inappropriate, <laughs> um, there's this idea that like in his lack, he still exists and he still is there, but he can't necessarily affect his life, you know? Um, there's a lot of obvious comparisons to noir films, yeah, uh, for good reason. You know, there's, uh, you know, the it's shot, it's set in the same town as Shadow of a Doubt. It has similar uh, thematic things to Double Indemnity and some other movies, but uh, but one of the things that w- that we read, I, I think I sent it to you, was yeah. it visually it actually looks more like a sci-fi movie, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. because there is this ufo subplot yeah and i always wonder with the ufo subplot is this the coen brothers being wacky or does or it or really does it matter part of the story is there, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah yeah is this is this important to the story or not and i again i i wonder if it's the sort of thing where if i spend too much time trying to figure that make out you it's insane, gonna drive yeah, me insane i don't know but uh yeah i mean it starts off as a very simple story around like uh he he, he doesn't like his life he sees an opportunity for money he tries yeah. to blackmail the very person who's sleeping with his wife to get that money. But then things just keep getting more and more complicated yeah, and more and, and more out of control very until yeah. it's over for him. And right. that's it. And I don't know. I saw, so I saw this one in the theater and I remember everyone I knew being like, what a piece of shit. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? This is great. Dude. Like, I, so I, just, I worked at a video store in Bayonne sure, when I saw sure. this and it came out at the same time that I am Sam came out. Sure. Huh. And that movie was a piece of shit. That yeah. movie fucking sucked, and everybody was losing their goddamn minds they over loved it. it. Well, loved they, loved, it. They, they liked Dakota Fanning. They did. Yeah, they so did that's valid. But Star I mean, power is everything. But that movie sucked <laughs> so bad. Like, I watched it, and I really felt like I was being killed. <laughs> and then I see this, that everybody's right. like, yo, this movie sucks. Sucks. And I'm like, this movie is great. Why do you think it's great? Because of, um, because of the... It takes a genius to tell a story without telling a story. Right. And this whole movie, it seems to be based in that concept, Mm -hmm. that the absence is the character. And that you have all, like, the dude, John Goodman, or Tony Shalhoub in there, like, all these wild characters 
and great actors. I thought it was like really well, a very present movie in its that, And that was the first time I thought that it was that, not the first time, but that was the first time I've seen them do a drama because usually it's the comedies and I'm like, no. Yeah. But the drama where I was like, this is overstuffed with really? intense, all these very specific characters. Like, I need, sure. you know, Tony so Shalhoub wait, so is like an intense Where actor, do you land on this actor. movie? Did you like it? Or oh, no. no. It's, it's, she already said she didn't like it. It's oh, in my yeah. dislike list, yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's. Talk us through, talk us through. So one of your issues is that <laughs> um, it's a drama and yet the characters in the drama, it plays at times like a comedy. Yes. Even though there's almost no Nothing jokes. funny about it. Because yeah. the characters are ridiculous. Right. So that seems to be part of your, what else about the movie sort of rubs you in a bad way? <laughs> it rubs me in a bad way. I mean, I, um, hmm. well, I just, I didn't care about the story i wasn't i wasn't brought in and usually right. a for the first frame of a good Coen brothers uh film will <laughs> try, will draw you <laughs> will draw you it in happens, man. <laughs> and instead with this with this film he's the as soon as the voiceover starts i i always felt like i almost felt like billy bob thornton even though he is pretty broad um i feel like he was overacting like I was like, this wow. is wow. Okay. Yeah, I was like, this is too much. But he's like quiet in most of the movie. The the voiceover was. I didn't think that he felt any. Uh, I couldn't get a sense of what he felt for the character um, as he's talking. I just felt like he was just reading it. He had no idea who this character was, and he was just sort of going off the page. And and it's like, well, if he doesn't care what's going on, well, I felt like he didn't care what's going on with this character. I'm not going to care what's going on right. with this character. So. And that, and so I feel like this is the first time where they do a drama where they don't have the balance of all the things they usually do, which are suspense and thriller and rom- you know all that mm. stuff. They don't. It's not balanced. It's a drama, but it's not balanced. And instead of it being like that screwball thing where it's like, okay, now it's out of control. It's like the drama is out of control. It's like you've yeah. gone full drama, and and but you didn't bring all the other your so toolbox like with you. So it's a failed experiment. Yeah, I, I felt like it was. Yeah, I really. Don't. Yeah, I feel I I agreed with. I didn't realize that other people didn't like it. I thought everyone. Oh liked yeah, it. no, because everyone I, it was, hated it. Wasn't it nominated and stuff? In, I don't it, even. But it did not do that well. Yeah, I know. Broadly, it was paying. I feel like uh, uh, a lot of response to it was because it came out right after Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which everybody had professed to love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a huge, huge response. nerd boner too. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I feel. You guys. I think. The opposite of everything you feel about this movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, it feels familiar to me because it reminds me of like a Raymond Carver short story. Okay. Okay. Um, it's portrayal of the fifties as, and and at this point this is a cliche, but the fifties is this like veneer mm-hmm. of normal life where when, there's when like there's this like, undercurrent of roiling. Yeah, of discontent. Of, of discontent. Like, yeah, that's obvious, but I think this is their best portrayal of it mm. in their filmography, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm, um, that's true. The character is being kind of like not really connected to what's going on. He's just sort of fulfilling his role, and, you know, even his marriage just seems perfunctory. Mm. That just feels like white people and, and we. <laughs> is, in fact, I, I, would, I, would, I would 100% argue, because it's so 50s, this, that is, this their, is that indictment of that weird... I think this, A Serious Man also has a lot of white people shit in it, but this is that most of their movies 
are critical of all kinds of things. Right. But they're also very white films in a way that isn't critical around race. Mm-hmm. But I think both A Serious Man and this movie, you can get at some real whiteness bullshit. And that's like 50s America. Like, yeah. no one is real. Everyone is trying towards something that's bullshit. Everyone yeah. is lying. And mm-hmm. this topical lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This idea. And even this moment where she doesn't want to go to her relatives because they're fucking Italians. <laughs> I don't want to deal with the Italians. And why? Because the Italians like are having fun and drinking wine. You know what I mean? Like there's this idea that like they're not proper. Like there's this critique of properness in this film yeah. that it happens in their other movies, but it's the strongest one. Yeah. So in that way, for me, ideologically, I, I connect with it actually the most mm. of maybe not all, but a lot of their movies. Mm. Um, and I think it is funny. Like, yeah. I think that's the thing about it is because there's no jokes and it's played on this one note. I fucking laugh. Like, yeah. I, 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 and maybe that's wrong. Maybe I shouldn't think it's funny, but I think it's funny <laughs> as much as it's depressing, which is kind of the point. It feels like some sort of weird, morose comedy like 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 billy bob thornton is like a sag clown to me and that i just want to laugh at it you know what i mean in that sense and see i didn't resonate with the comedy at all oh man i thought that it was a depressing as fuck movie wow i i mean i get i loved it i mean don't get it wrong right i I did like that but that said i wasn't sitting there laughing at this fool so did you feel like it was satisfying was it a Uh, satisfying i like sad and dark depressing things i drink my coffee black and i listen to the smiths all the time (laughs) awesome all the time I like <laughs> their goofy, funny stuff, too. Yes. This might might be their darkest movie, but I actually think Burn After Reading might be their darkest movie. Okay. How is it? What? How is that possible? Over a serious man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, 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 because I think Burn After Reading is their most cynical, mm. no one is in it is worth anything, yeah. nothing works out, all of life has no meaning. Like, I think a serious man has moments in it that are something more and it, and and again I think Serious Man is also super dark but I think it's because it is actually thinking about meaning and religion and stuff like that that it has a little more to it than sometimes Burn After Reading feels, feels like a little bit of like a mean movie in a mm-hmm. way that their other movies don't mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, certainly not as nice I mean a lot of people sort of thought Inside Lewin Davis which we're about to get to was kind of mean and I don't think that at all I think it's actually kind of weirdly sweet towards yeah. the end of it where did, where did you fall on Inside Lewin Davis oh that's yeah that's in my light category but Ha-ha! I ha ah. sorry <laughs> you liked my movie didn't like Liam's movie oh I'm fine with that I mean, I'm claiming it yes, let me go ahead and say Lynn like, like Joey for, for those listening who don't know like we we each picked a movie I actually did pick uh, uh, The Man Who Wasn't There because I hadn't it's one of their few movies I had not seen in a really long time right and I remember thinking like this seems like an outside one. Like, I feel like if we had done, <laughs> well, in the sense of like, if we had yeah, done, if we'd done Raising Arizona and The Big Lebowski, like even No Country for Old Men yeah, or yeah, even yeah. True Grit. These are all right. movies that people talk about a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, I haven't heard a nerd talk about, talk about the man who wasn't there in a long time. And yeah. it's one of those movies that if we were having a conversation about the Coen brothers in a very abstract sense, you wouldn't mention it. Yeah. It doesn't get mentioned. Same way. No one mentions, no one brings up Hudsucker Proxy. Right. You know what I mean? right, right. And they no, should. That movie is great. I kind of love that movie. Yeah, dude. Um, Tim Robbins. Yeah. No, I know, I know. You know, for the kids. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, So anyways, back to the man who wasn't there. I just, I, yes, it's dark and sad, but Mm -hmm. there's something about that that feels like it's a little bit funny. (laughs) And I don't know how to explain that kind of humor. That weird dichotomy of the sad. But I also, I I love Billy Bob's performance. I think this is, 
I would actually say he gets this character more than most movies he's in. Mm-hmm. I think he's a bad actor. I think Billy Bob Thornton really? is not a very good actor. That most of his movies are bad. He's only <laughs> well, done, most of his movies are bad. Yeah, yeah. he's only done a few roles well, where I, he was You know what, now that I think about it, I yeah. only <laughs> do really love Sling Blade. Yeah, you have to think about but it. But the like, thing oh. about Sling Blade is it's a transformative thing. He transformed into a thing. It feels like a gimmick. The sort of acting he does in Sling Blade is like the sort of acting that professional wrestlers do. It, you can't disrespect it totally, wow. but you can't say it's the same as someone who's just... I think it's harder to just be in a movie and be a real person no. than to be Sling Blade. Transforming, I think, is harder, but I think that it's not I, necessary. I, as I get older, I realize that people can't, shouldn't have to be Meryl Streep to be respected. Well, but I used to but think it's that. different, though, because... You're not Meryl Streep. Why am I But I think Meryl Streep can transform in a way where that character is real. Uh, I don't think Sling Blade is a real character. No, re- so then what's your re-watch other? Rewatch it. No, rewatch it. Dude. I'll rewatch it. That's fine. what's your other positive Billy Bob Thornton than other than Bad <laughs> Santa? <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are the three most tin obvious cans? No, well, I was just looking. I was saying those Pushing are the three. Tin, what was those are the three most movie? obvious. Oh, yeah, but no, I mean, I think most of his movies are popular. bad. Yeah, there, I was just looking up his because I was like, what is going on here? Because I didn't like him in Monsters Ball. I really liked him in Bandits. You remember that movie? Oh, or yeah. The, with the kid? Because that was a ridiculous movie. Right. And I, but I liked it. And I thought he was funny in it. I think he's usually not great. And I think with this yeah. role, he hits a note that works for him. And, right. the, and it works for the character. And to me, it works for the story that, that the way he's doing the voiceover is what they're looking for, which is he seems he's so detached from himself but that makes him in a way more present in a world where everything is so fake everyone else is super involved in their lives but it doesn't mean anything like it's like his counterpart is the guy he does the thing which by the way great performance for that dude too yeah Um, Um, I always forget his name but uh, his brother-in-law runs the barbershop uh, what's his name Uh, Michael Badaluco oh yeah yeah, he's somebody I've never known his name, but I know his face. He's very in a million well. Coen Brothers movies specifically. Right. Same with this Don is, Polito, that the yes. dude who plays uh, his performance in Miller's Crossing. And his performance is the only one I remember from years later because yeah. it stood out. So it's just when he smacks his son Ugh. and they said, "Who hit you?" I fell out laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, in, he's in every. He's in a lot yeah. of Coen Brothers. I love him. His <laughs> role is good. Delfino and then when he, the but, uh, so one of my most magical moments is when he hits on. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character because it's oh, so right. subtle it's so he literally just gives him a look and Billy Bob Thornton with almost no emotion was that a pass <laughs> I think it's a, it could be so and then Billy Bob Thornton with almost no emotion you're way out of line <laughs> genius I thought that was the most magical moment of the movie for me because it was kind of showing A it's showing for this guy he's trying to survive mm-hmm. I mean if you see if you pay attention to the way the story works out the idea that he, oh, he should have never trusted him with his money anyway. That's not true. He was murdered. So, yeah. like, he might have actually, I mean, they could be co-owners of a dry cleaners right now if it wasn't for James Gandolfini, who's the worst person ever. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you feel kind of bad for him because in that time period, he would have to be sneaky. Like, there was no yeah. there was no gay club, there, you right, know, or at right, least not right, generally right. speaking. There was barely any. So, I mean, giving a guy a weird look was the only way you could figure out, like, is this going to be another thing? And, but I think it also represents for Billy Bob Thornton's character. He's not there. He's not present. Yeah. And so people inject. I mean, even like, yes, James Alfini, they have the scene where he's figured what's going on and he kills him or whatever. But um, the scene before that, it's all about James Gandolfini reading into him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't give him anything back. And yet he pulls from that vague emptiness, you know? Right. 
Um, and I think that's a theme in some of their other movies as well. But I think this movie, that's really what's going on. The it's main like, theme. That's in the way he's not there. But that's also made a little bit of a lie because as he's doing his voiceover, he kind of reveals like, I guess I was a little upset he was sleeping with Doris. You know what I mean? Like the whole up until that point, oh, no, he doesn't care. But it's like that's not really true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's like it's almost like the way he's dealing with the world is this way of being stoic, but that stoicism hides something else. Right. Yeah. Anyway, you didn't like it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, I that mean, was very eloquent. <laughs> Everything I no, heard sounded good. Don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> I prefer that you that we don't all be in agreement. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. It makes for better listening. I not, get, not only that, but it also is just more. Uh, it's better for the listener, but it's also yeah. like better for us. Like I don't want to just come in here and be like, whoa, whoa. I yeah. guess we all agree that's awesome. All right, let's keep going. Well, yeah. let's move on to the movie that both Jasmine and I enjoyed. <laughs> And I also and enjoyed And Liam enjoyed, but Jasmine chose to be better of our two choices. <laughs> Inside Lewin Davis. I did Much pick The Man Who Wasn't There because I was hoping it would be controversial. Hey. And I was actually surprised that I still liked it as much as when I saw it. Oh, right, okay. Right, right. Yeah. I love it. It's great. So of the three movies, Inside Lewin Davis touches on a, a genre of music that I hold dear. Whereas oh. the other two, I never watched gangster movies. And right. Noir wasn't really my thing. Mm-hmm. But Inside Lewin Davis talks to me on both the level of a musician and a fan of music as it changed from this clean-cut folk era right. to the 1963 like post-Greenwich Village sure. Bob Dylan thing. Um, this movie, to me, looks the most like its source material. Like It's not trying to make this... Like, this um, a mosaic of all different tiles. This is one photograph mm-hmm. that they then built the movie around to me. Yeah. And I adore that photograph. I mm-hmm. love this movie. What do you love about it? Um, I love that, first of all, Oscar Isaac, I think, is mm-hmm. amazing. He learned all of like all the songs and everything. He played them for real and sang them for real. Yeah. Fucking genius. This yeah. dude gets to be in Star Wars, too. <laughs> what the fuck, bro? Like, come on, man. Like, so, sort of riches. Dude, <laughs> shit is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I also really loved, like, dude, the last scene with Bob Dylan is amazing to me because, again, it looks like what I imagine when I hear the songs. Yeah. So Because they did that. They wanted to do, they looked at an album cover. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah, was yeah. how they, they, the cinematography, that's how they, yeah. So cool. Yeah. It mm-hmm. just looks so good to me. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's such a, it's such a wild movie. And it's still, it's still classic Coen Brothers, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's still Coen Brothers in the way that there is these cogs spinning wildly out of control. Like, when he gets mad at the lady at the dinner for singing the part. Of his, but then it's like, it's out of control. But then it's also like, there's a point to it. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. the whole subplot with, um, with the girl and all that stuff. I feel as though this movie, this movie speaks to me the most out of the whole Coen Brothers canon. Mm. Just because of, like all of this is based on the plight of a musician. Right. And I get that. I get that. Well, what, but what do you what did you think they were trying to say about this musician? And maybe that's my problem. Is Not my problem, but when I what I when I get so not frustrated but when I get like intrigued and confused by their films it's because I'm like what are they trying to say and that might be that might be a horrible way to watch a Coen Brothers movie (laughs) I definitely don't feel like there's an overarching like moral to this one okay you know what I mean like I'm going to go ahead and disagree disagree. yes (laughs) go ahead hit me with not in the sense of a more I mean I'm going to stick with my original statement that the Coen Brothers movies I don't think their films have a central message like Mm -hmm. they're like this movie is about friendship right so at the end you're going to know that what we think about friendship yeah they shake hands and yeah that's not that's not the thing but I I I think that um, and we had talked a little about this before we started recording but Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, this movie gets a lot of accusations of being kind of meaningless. You know, I mean, it is a movie in which there's this circle, right? right. And you can interpret that like so. Some people choose to interpret it like um, the movie's a flashback. So the fight mm. at the beginning and the fu- uh, his fight, yeah. him getting jumped in the alley at the <laughs> beginning and him getting jumped in the alley at the end are the same occurrence. Mm. That what is happening is he gets jumped in the alley and then we're seeing this what flashback. led up to him getting jumped right. in the alley. That's one way to see the movie. I don't think that that's definitive, mm. partly because of the Bob Dylan thing. I think that it's not clear that what we saw in the first part, they just skipped Bob Dylan. Right. It's possible, but I don't think that's clear. I think it's more likely that the movie is, in a way, a representation of eternal occurrence, mm-hmm. or, I'm sorry, recurrence, that there's this, that life is just repeating itself. The cyclic nature yeah, of yeah, life. Yeah. Which is why a lot of people accuse it of being nihilistic. Like, oh, look at this movie. Mm-hmm. He goes through all this shit, and nothing means anything, and he's a failure, and his life just keeps repeating itself, and there's all this like negative ways you could look at it in that mm-hmm. sense. But um, for me, I think something happens mm-hmm. different in the concert, right? Right. Um, and, and again, this doesn't necessarily go against the idea that in the first cut, we just don't see this happen, mm-hmm. but that this is what it is. But what, we, what we're shown in the second cut is an important moment, and that's him. He plays the song that we know. Yeah, but he plays it in this more soulful way. Well, he plays the, the hang, the, you know, I, it's laying in the grave so long song. Mm-hmm. But then he plays a song he recorded with his now dead partner, Mike. Right, right. And I think that, because not only does he play it, I think he sings it differently. Specifically, I think he sings Mike's part. Right. And that's, he brought up the dinner. The dinner is this moment of emotional connection to him that is not clear otherwise. That we see him being an asshole. Right. We see him be sad. And I think he's clearly dealing with depression, which, you know, yeah. Your, your musical partner yeah. just jumped off a bridge. And it's fucking dead. Yeah, now you have to go on your own. And not only is it just the pain of losing a person, but it's also the artistic end of that, right? Everyone yeah. prefers him with Mike. Right. And now it's like, well, guess what? I can't get them back together with Mike. Mike's dead. Dude, and the scene so, when they're at the club and he's like, yeah, my, my opinion is you should join your partner. Yeah. Dude. And he yeah. was just he, he's just like, that's good advice. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so I, think, I think there's this idea, right, that his life is hard. Yeah. That there is a sense of failure. That um, he has... He hasn't made it, and uh, and and I'm of the opinion that the there are two fights that are the same thing, right? Right. Um, and that the Dylan showing up represents that things are basically over for him. Once Dylan oh, comes on the scene, Dylan Dylan is yeah. like the end of history for folk singers. Like right, right, you're right. done. Like yes, there is eternal recurrence that you're you just keep repeating these things, but not really because now there's a cataclysmic, almost apocalyptic moment that yeah. is going to ruin everything for you. But that doesn't matter because the emotional core of the movie is the fact that he plays a song that the, just the night before, hearing someone, not the night before, a few days before, hearing someone sing Mike's part, he fucking loses it. And it's the yeah. one po- point up to that point we see him be human. You see it a little bit when he's interacting with Carrie Mulligan yeah. because clearly he wants her. He's okay with the fact that she's mad at him. Mm-hmm. What he's not okay with is the idea that what happened between them meant Absolutely nothing. Yeah, he wants there to be more drama there. I think. Really? Yeah, I I did not see that at all. I think. I think there's a neediness from him where he wants there to be something there other than just her anger. Mm. But that's not even much. That's still only a little bit. Mm. We don't see him as a emotional human until that dinner, and that dinner is so important for that reason because he's still an asshole. He still brought them the wrong goddamn cat. 
<laughs> he still doesn't know how to treat other people with respect. Right. But honestly, when you're depressed, you tend to treat people shittily anyway. So yeah. that's not a big surprise. Hurt people hurt. But people when she sings the part and he can't fucking handle it, yeah. that okay, that's a moment. And then going, you know, he goes to Chicago. All these things happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, I think the car ride. He's with got John Goodman. He's got John Goodman, and he's got yeah. the guy driving the car. And I think those two represent extremes. Because he could either be this self-serving person mm. who yeah. doesn't really like a careerist, or, or he could purposeless, be this just yeah, 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 like bad poetry writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think guy. I think there's a sense in which, um, uh, but I think the okay, I think the guy driving the car. Mm-hmm. I think John Goodman is. Well, it's hard to determine, but I think one of them is sort of devoted to something, and one of them is kind of a careerist. And those are the two things he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to die for his art. Yeah. Oh, but fascinating. He, but he doesn't want to sell out either. Yeah, autonomy. There has to be a middle road where I can be great in the way I think is great and get paid. Right. But the only reason he exists is because of these corny middle class, like the grow, grow, what is the their name? The space thing and like the... Well, but also the, the people who he's mean to, who sort of support him. What uh, is their name? Yeah, the... Oh, the, the the couple the yeah. Justin yeah. oh the, no that couple yeah. yeah 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 those that's his fan base are <laughs> yeah, middle aged intellectuals who are yeah. still into like folk is a, the old style of folk that's right. so interesting yeah like, I think and he's those, so disrespectful and to he's them. so mad because he yeah. hates his, and I think isn't this true of a lot of musicians yes you hate your is, fan base that's totally not you, me you, I love you, my fans but but you know what I mean like a lot of only because my fans are Liam and my wife. <laughs> there, there are a lot of artists who I think hate their fan base, especially yeah, if they feel like pistols. they like, don't know where they're like, going, they don't know what they're doing, and right. they blame these people because they're not the right people. Right. Yeah. Um, anyways, all that to say, I think the choice to show us the second time, whether that is a new thing or whether life That's just repeats itself, it doesn't it. matter. There's an emotional thing going on there where he's playing the song he wrote with Mike. Yeah. He's now and he's singing he, Mike's part. Yeah. Even if all of life is a repeated failure, there's mm. still emotional growth. Right. He still has an arc. Something still happens in his life. And to me, I fucking cry. When he yeah. plays a song, that song, I was like, oh, God. Dude, it's such a good it song. It destroys too. me. Yeah, it's so fucking good. I love, I love your version of, uh, of events or your, your critique of it. Because yeah. I feel like that is a... Not that I think the movie was satisfying, but that is like a great coming of, you know, coming of, not coming of age, but a, a story arc and a, a great and one of a the only good development. Uh, character development. Thank you. And one of the only great uh, sort of like, because movies about singers are usually like, you uh, know, it's always I the mean, same. I mean, regardless of I whether you. two words for you, Jasmine. La Bamba. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say that whether or you think Selena. this movie has meaning or no meaning, right. it is still one of the better movies about musicians. Yeah, movies about musicians sure. aren't always great. No, there are a few exceptions. Yeah, but I think Bamba that, being the main oh one. My fuck <laughs> you. Blue Diamond Jesus. Phillips, half Filipino, claiming him. Yay. Get him. rules, just saying. Yes. All right, let's let's, let's Morales. Say, what, what do we think are some of the better, what, what are some of the best performances in Lewin Davis? Besides, obviously, I mean, we can all agree Oscar Isaac is... Dude, the whole movie is about Oscar Isaac. The whole movie. Yeah, he's is in every, about They were saying Oscar that Isaac. it was difficult to cast because the main character had to be in every frame, right. and not right. even like off, like to the side. He's not even talking from another room. Right. <laughs> like he's yeah. in every. Yeah, he's in Dude, every but, frame. But I think My Justin Timberlake is magical in this movie. Yeah, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a muted mo- role, but he does it well. Yeah, and he can really owns that corniness like there's something he's good for that role right i, I agree yeah, I, I think oscar isaac did outshine everyone though but i wanted yeah. to talk huh no i'm saying yeah, right? yeah. like dude the but scene where what he sings you? to his dad and his dad is just sitting in the fucking chair and, she, and he's singing that song mm-hmm. 
And then, well, and then his dad shits himself. That's the response yeah, to the song. Dude, his dad shits so himself. So fucking genius. Sorry. Go but ahead, I, Go ahead. Well, no, but I we were uh, we were talking a little earlier about how I felt about the film, and I took it completely differently. And at first, I didn't know what to feel, which is what I usually feel. But then, when I watched it again. I saw it in some other like supernatural sort of thing sure. where this person where we're, we feel for him because we start out with him and he's like a sad sack and we're used to that. And we like, yeah. and, and even like with Gene, his, um, the, his love interest of the girlfriend of the, <laughs> of his friend that he impregnates. Yeah. Um, you think like, man, she is such a bitch. Like, you know, calm down sort of thing. And then you, and then every other character that he encounters, you're like this, this military guy, he's like, he's the worst. Yeah. He's so like saccharine. And then you, and then, you know, just everyone that he encounters, you're realizing you don't like. And what I realized is like, by the time you get to the end of the movie or when I watched it again, it was like, no, uh, Lulin is... Uh, the unlikable a, character. He is a terrible person. Yeah. So, and then, so his, to me, his failure is because people can see, even though he's technically a good musician, he can sing beautifully, he can play beautifully, people can see inside what's really going on inside of him. And, and it's not great. he's a individual. Not corrupted, but just not, not a good person. Right. Just, just really basically not a good person. Just the, his, his behavior wow. through the whole film um, is so, you know, it's like he, this thing's going on with this, with, with Jean, that's very important, but he's focusing on the cat and the fact that, cause watching it again, when she says, when he says, Oh, I feel bad about this cat. I lost the cat. She was like, that's what you care about. And I, and it stuck out to me the second time. Cause I was like, yeah, why you don't even really, you're not even really paying attention to this whole idea of, a, you know, abortion or all this stuff. And he's giving all these opportunities to be a human being. So even just like you find out you have a son. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to go see? No, you're not. Gonna, you, he, he makes a decision not to do any of those things that make him a good person. Right. And I feel like when see, the guy. I, disag- I disagree a little bit on that one. Right. Only in that I think going to see the sun would be selfish. She's made. There's a reason she decided not to tell you. But as a but that might be on her end. But on his end, he on her end. Yes, that's true. But on his end. He is was is too selfish of a person to care about his offspring. Wow. So it's like he knew he should. He saw the sign. He didn't think he wasn't going to do it before. He saw the sign. Well, to me, I mean, this is all to me. Obviously, sure. this is not necessarily what the character's thinking. Because once well, yeah. again, I don't know what the Coen brothers <laughs> are thinking. Um, I feel like he sees the sign and he and he's like, if I was a good person, I would I would go off and. And oh, try to, and do one of those things that people yeah. do in movies where they're a good person. Mm-hmm. Like these are all opportunities mm-hmm. to do those things. And I feel like the cat thing was like that's a selfish thing for him because those uh, that couple are so um, what do you call it? Uh, they're just so like uh, forgiving of him. Clearly, yeah. after you see like the blow up, and then and then they're just like oh you know <laughs> they walk and because I, I was like what they I were know. just like come back in and I was like this is the relationship that he has with them and he's not, they're the only people that are probably like this for him and if he loses his cat you know what i mean so it wasn't even really for them it was for him he wanted to be able to he needs to go back there to me that's so interesting i so i i generally think that we are shown like conflicts in the sense of like right he does something bad he does something good he he what does he do that's good see i i think (laughs) i think caring about the cat is actually supposed to be endearing. That but, he, he, but but the last thing that happens with the cat is we realize he does not when he leaves it. He could have t- he took it this whole time. So, but that's the thing. I think, I actually believe that scene where he leaves the cat mm-hmm. is conflicted. That he, I th- 
I th- again, this is my interpretation. Right. Yeah. I think most people leave the goddamn cat. They don't even bring it with, and they yeah. leave it in the car, and they're like, "Fuck that cat." I think Do that. They? I think that scene's supposed to be. Him endearing because he's so it. conflicted he can't decide what to do like do I bring the cat with me do I hitchhike with the cat like I think that that's supposed to be emotionally hard and then he <laughs> finally goes I gotta leave the cat like I'm gonna leave it and that that's supposed to be in the same way I interpreted the Akron thing completely different yeah when he sees the sign I'm thinking don't go that's the asshole thing to do the worst thing I think worse than sleeping with your friend's wife would be going to see the kid I literally think that's an evil move. What? That is a, and, and, and I think the funny thing is that he's like, no, I'm not going to go. And that's the right decision. And that's when he hits the cat. That like, even at a moment where he made the right decision, it doesn't he's matter because now he might have yeah. just killed the very cat he abandoned in the first place. Wow. It's like every time he might be okay, he's actually not okay. Like that, I saw that as that conflict. And I have the moment. exact opposite interpretation so of funny. that. That's because hilarious. it's like you... I don't think people would leave that cat. First of all, you took the cat out of spite because you shouldn't, like, you got the wrong cat or whatever. So you probably sure. had it to just sort yeah. of be like, well, I got, I, fuck it, I guess I got this cat now. Um, and just to be an, you know, just to be an asshole. Like, right. even though yeah. he knows he's hitchhiking with people, it's like cats are crazy in cars. Why would you do this? But yeah. he did it anyway. He could have left it. He could have found someone. Um, so instead, it's like that was a very emotional thing that happened the next day. Let me just do this because whatever. I, that's what I felt. Yeah. And so. I don't think anyone would leave a cat in a car in the cold. <laughs> I just don't think that that is something that a good person would do. Wow. So I was like, I don't when I, when that the one thing that he did that seemed uh, like a good a person something that a good person would do, which was take care of a cat that's not his. Yeah, sure. When he uh, when he ends up uh, ultimately abandons it, I was like, oh. I finally figured this character out. He's a horrible person. And so the thing that I was talking to him about is that when we, um, so it's like he's talented and all this, but people can, people, when you, because I uh, sing too, I used to, um, I take opera lessons and Uh I sang, you know, in choirs and stuff. I was in all the church choir, school choir. But people can, and I pay attention to like artists and stuff, people can see in your soul when you sing. Because there's definitely people you'll hear and you're like, this person is technically great. But I but, feel nothing. Yeah. And I felt like when he went to go see Grossman, Grossman right? Mm-hmm. Sure. He was like, he, he, I felt like the way he was sitting there and looking at him, it was like he was seeing inside of his soul. And, and you, and as a, nothing. Yeah. yeah. And as an audience, you're listening to him performing. You're like, this is technically, this is good. Uh-huh. Like, this is a good thing. But, and it's like, but he could, he could see it. He could see wow. what, and that's, and I think him bringing and up that's the, why he see, has my that. problem with that is yeah. that I don't, I don't. My interpretation of the military character as being bad isn't about Lewin's reaction to him. Mm-hmm. No, it's about him being that scripted, scripted, and even when he says the delivered. thing about like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna turn into a killing machine or whatever." Yeah, he doesn't get that the issue there is like murder. Right. Yeah, he's like, "Oh yeah, no, I do like the discipline." I'm like, "Oh, you're a fucking monster." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I literally think the soldier guy. Is like as the nice so the as he guy is, is, yeah. is far worse than person. Lewin. I'd rather yeah. deal with the conflicted asshole who wants to be a good person. Than the that guy's not okay. Kills. Well, the soldier guy is a rep- representative of a lot of people um, who they aren't thinking of the overarching right. idea. So it's not so much that he's looking at it from the broader perspective of the way that Lewin is right. and going, well, fuck people. I don't care about killing people. Right. He's just, he's, he's he a has sort of like, experience. yeah, he's a sort but of But that's why I don't trust Grossman. Like when he, when he brings yeah. up the thing, Grossman's like, oh yeah, that guy's great. And I'm like, oh, you are not a good voice. <laughs> well, you are actually not okay. And, and kind of represents for me, yeah. 
I thought the Cohen's critique of the music industry overall. And, or no, of industry over passion. Oh, industry totally. But in yeah. this context, the music industry, like, I also don't think Grossman would sign Bob Dylan. Ah. I think if, if it wasn't Lewin and it was Bob Dylan in that chair, similarly Grossman would be like, no, nah, I, I don't see any money in this. Yeah, yeah. But, but why? Because he signed Soldier Guy. Yeah. Literally, the Bob Dylan represents that that Soldier Guy the is actually not going to have a career. Because yeah. of Bob Dylan, that dude's career that Grossman thinks he sees is over. But Dylan you, destroyed it. But do you remember what he says when he, when he talks about Soldier Guy? He's like, he doesn't say he's so good. He says right. he's, he's something about him is nice. Some, I forget what he says exactly, but mm. it's more about that's a nice guy. People will connect with him. And, and, so, but he's, and but that he's, is another. But I think a, he's wrong. All the people like that soldier dude, yeah. their careers went away. I mean, that's Grand. This is affected slightly by the fact that I watch the special features, and <laughs> and the, one of the folk experts was like, "Let me name the biggest stars in folk around right. this time." Right. You don't know who they are like because the trio Dylan like, literally ate yeah. them. Yeah. Like he his change in folk music meant all these people who were making money and doing okay, yeah. they just that gave it done. up. They went and became parents because they're like, well, "I guess it's over." Right. And I think that's who the. I think that. There's a temptation. That moment is actually a moment of temptation in one of the directions Lewin is tempted to go, which is, I should just write Corporate, pop songs. Yeah. I mean, it was so stupid. I mean, I get it was for. I, I, this is part of the complication of the plot. He doesn't. He doesn't take royalties for the space song, for a good reason, because mm-hmm. he's like, I got to pay for this yeah. procedure. This is the right thing to do. I won't get royalties. But then the first time he sees other people, they're like, oh, I heard that song you're on. The royalties for that are going to be huge. Like, I think that's the complicated nature of what they're trying to say, which is like, it's unclear that Lewin wins when he, I think Lewin loses when he makes the right decisions and the wrong decisions. That like, no matter what he does, if he tries to be a nice guy, if he tries to be a bad guy, it doesn't matter. He's never going to make it. The, the message I get the whole film is like, this yo, is you know what? Prospect. You could stick to your art or you could sell out. It's, irrash- it, it's, it's irrelevant. Irreverent. Even yeah. when you try to join the working force, the one way you know how, that's not going to work out for you. That the <laughs> whole movie is just like, you fail. You are going to fail. And yet, even within that failure, there's that moment, for me at least, where mm. he connects he and is able to deal with his emotions around this like tragedy you know but he still ends up knocked out in an alley like can't get (laughs) up you know what I mean like that doesn't solve his problems his life still sucks and it's not gonna get any better I don't think oh Oh. yeah we should wrap up Okay. Okay. Oh man, I had so <laughs> no, many more. No, do it. To say. No, you should finish up, and then we'll wrap up the whole thing. Okay. No, I just um, it's so funny because I don't see it that way at all. I don't think that he is uh, an example of like, oh, sometimes you try to be a, uh, successful right. at, at your art because art is hard, and art is not something that you, it's not like going, being a dentist and going to a nine to five. Yeah. So this, so sometimes this happens to you, and I feel like any other story, and if it wasn't the Coen Brothers, I would say that 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 is the um, that that is enough of the depth. But I think it's I think it's more than that because I his behavior to that woman on stage mm-hmm. is so egregious. Yeah, sure. And it's like he. It's you know he everything he does he does to himself. Right. So and that and that's the thing. It's like you know for me and I, and I don't usually do the sort of like sappy like be a good person sort of thing because I like ambiguous you know that's yeah. I like that that's more interesting. But I think that that what I took out of it was that he not I didn't I didn't think any of his decisions were were like good or you know like were any were good. I thought they were all, all yeah I yeah, think they were all self serving. So sure. I. 
And even with that, it was like he was mad about this whole thing with Gene when he when he like got angry and started yelling at that woman. It, he, you know, so he like is abuse. You know, it's abusive. Right. Um, and I think that it's like you need to be like you need to be a good person. Like you have not decided mm. to be a good person this whole film. And we're with you at first, and then with rewatching it, I was just like, she, Jean is justified in her, for me, like just as a woman, I was like, she, she's justified in her anger. It seems like he's taking care of things, but he, he, this is the least he could do, is use the money for the abortion. Yeah. It's not like, a, like you did the most amazing thing. <laughs> you, it's like, because I saw someone say that in the review, like it's a, he did a really nice thing for Jean. It's like a nice thing, that's the least you could do. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, so it, for me, it was just like his soul is corrupted. I think you're being too nice to Jean because, really? because she spits on him the whole movie. I can't believe you would do this to your friend. And then she has slept with other people. To me, that moment where that dude reveals it is not just about Lewin's ego, it's though it about is about that because Lewin is an asshole. And I want to make it clear. <laughs> Lewin is an asshole. That's, that's not an indictment of Jean as well. Well, it just shows that. Jean, I think Jean, I think Jean is punishing him because she's mad at herself. Which, right. by the way, is what Lewin is doing. Yeah, he thinks Classical it must brother. be his fault that Mike is dead, so everyone else has to suffer because he hates himself. I think Jean is also doing that to him, and that's the first time that he sees it, where he's like, "Oh, I'm like the whipping boy yeah. for Jean about herself." Oh, and she, he's never seen it before. Now, that also though, he then makes. The worst, I, I won't say the worst, because leaving the cat is probably the worst decision. But the second worst decision of the movie is when he yells at the lady. Yeah. <laughs> Again, though, I think that's related to what we already know about him, which is that he's an emotional asshole who's now drunk. Depressed. So, drunk, of course, yeah. he's lashing out, whatever. Mm-hmm. But what's crazy to me, the reason I think this movie is weirdly hopeful in an almost like not Coen Brothers way is that he's such a fucking asshole and yet he still manages to have even that little bit of growth. That if the movie was actually so negative on him, I think he wouldn't be able to sing that song that he did with Mike. Now, granted, that doesn't redeem him. Maybe it will someday, but I don't think the Corn Brothers care. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think they're interested in that. And I think I think that moment, though, is a little bit of their affection for that time because they really talked about him. I mean... Everyone's like, oh, he's Dave Van Gronk. But he's not really Dave Van Gronk because Dave Van Gronk wasn't quite this kind of asshole. But I think he's an amalgamation of all the assholes of that time, you mm-hmm. know? And I think sort of representing that idea that these are a bunch of fucking sad sacks who are doing something that they don't even know why they're doing. I mean, he hate- I really actually believe him that he hates this thing he's devoted his life to, but he hates it in that way where you hate something because it's mm. disappointed you. You know right. what I mean? The same way that like sometimes when someone says, like, I fucking hate this country. Some people mean that like in just a very flippant way, and some yeah. people mean it because and they're extremely disappointed. Yeah, yeah, they're disappointed. They want something more. Mm-hmm. But I will say that uh, when I say he makes any good choices, I'm exaggerating. He makes bad choices, and he makes slightly less, bad, less choices. bad choices. He okay. makes conflicted choices. He mm-hmm. makes choices that kind of represent that he like. He knows he should be less bad. Yeah, I definitely. Which think. is as close as he gets to good, <laughs> knowing that you shouldn't be as bad. Yeah, and he tries, you know, yeah. again, the moment the cat gets out of the apartment, he could just be like, oh, fuck this cat. That's not my problem. But it doesn't serve him ultimately to no, let that cat go. No. It's true. So I don't. Oh, man. Eat. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, this is what we wanted with, with Coen Brothers, right? Like, <laughs> I think this is, I, I actually, uh, 
some of their movies are very obvious, I guess. Right. But I think every all movie... The, all the ones on my dislike list. Sure. <laughs> but I still think most of the movies, you could have a conversation like this with somebody who saw it differently. You know which what I mean? Which is great filmmaking, which yeah, I totally. don't think we get usually with people who can do something a little bit more mainstream. Because obviously you can go, not everyone sure. is going to a festival to watch mm, right. off-kilter stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. the fact that you could be in a small town in America and get access to a film that, of this quality that is not going to do the same thing as a Hollywood film, a typical yeah. Hollywood film, is amazing. Um, it's an amazing, uh, amazing accomplishment for them. Jasmine. Yes. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This is really great. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I feel so like we should have you on again very soon because yeah, I talk about such a good stuff, time. Please. I love talking I mean, about movies. I mean, we could also do more Coen Brothers movies, but we could talk about something else if you want. <laughs> there's just so many movies that yeah, we, I mean, no. I feel like we're never going to run out with them, but. No, that's what I was thinking. We actually got so distracted. And so I wouldn't mind coming back. I don't know if you, if you wouldn't. God bless you. I don't know if you <laughs> would. I don't know if that you're interested in that, but I wouldn't mind coming back. Yo, and talking 100%. About some Hell other yeah. Dude, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. We'll, make it a, is, we'll make it an ongoing series. Totally yes. our favorite thing to do. Yay. Talk to interesting people about interesting movies. Oh, I'm interested. So Thank before you. we wrap up, is there anything you want to promote or plug for our listeners? Oh, yeah. So we have uh, at Amalgam a pretty big benefit concert coming up. Sure. Um, it's a uh, it's Black and Missing benefit concert. It's uh, July 29th at 8. 30 p.m. to midnight. We're going to have Ursula Rucker, um, Alexa Gold, Queen Joe, Jacqueline Constance, um, a lot of different people. It's And it's to sort of um, the, the tickets are $25 and it's going to um, go to the Black and Missing Foundation. Um, and What this, is that? It's a foundation that it, it sheds light on um, people who aren't usually highlighted in the media when they go missing. Oh, so... Wow. Um, so we there and, and there was a sort of like social media sort of awareness campaign about the fact that black girls go missing, especially in D.C. and that it's not mm. it's not uh, publicized. Mm. Um, it got a little out of control. I think the the facts were all over the place. But well, it I think because what, ha- what what I think it was meant to do is say like this happens all the time. Yeah, there's been a couple more recently. So now you're paying attention. So now we're going to highlight it. But it got. St- Fun to be that are now there's a are new rash and it's this many and it and it's like no it's not that it's that if and i think this is true if this many white girls were missing it would be a huge Different story yeah. yeah it would be right. a thing that everyone hears about all the time right but because these folks are black and many of them are poor they don't get the same amount of attention but yeah. that got turned into that's not the same thing as saying there's an event it, it, some people turn it into there, mm. there's an event. There's now a recent rash of of missing things, and that doesn't statistically work. And out. it was actually the truth was actually worse. Was that right. this has been going on for a long time? A it's long not time. that there was like all of a sudden people were like, let's take all the black girls. It was like this was already happening, and uh, the reason and we're, and even and you know you get alerts on your phone, yeah. and you realize that the people that you get alerts on your phone with look a certain way, mm. and that um, and that that can lower your chances of being returned to your family. And so, um, how do we help an organization that has been working on this for a long time? Instead of sort of giving into hysteria, we want to do something about it. So That's it's awesome. twenty five dollars, but you get a lot. You can have a. It's a lot going on, um, art and poetry and all that stuff. And it's for. And that is a to me a very good cause and one that we support at Cinepunks. Yay! Anything else you want to mention before we go? Um. No, I think. Oh, I, I mean, I would just follow us at Amalgam Philly sure. on all 
media platform except for tumblr because i love tumblr so i can't concentrate on tumblr to post properly so we have a tumblr but don't that's not gonna work but everything else we are on (laughs) (laughs) tumblr is the best josh anything you want to mention before we go (laughs) nope okay uh hey thank you for listening uh please rate review and subscribe um the ratings and reviews on itunes are still the most important thing for podcasts everywhere all the ones that do well have lots of ratings and reviews <laughs> we have 25 25 know, good ones I though know more than 25 people listen to the show <laughs> uh we have 24 good ones and one negative one nice so uh hey take a minute get on itunes even if you listen to us on another platform just get on iTunes and do a, a, a rating. That would be great. If you do listen to us on another platform like Stitcher, go ahead and rate us on there as well. That would be great. Um, but those really still matter for us. And as always, download, download, download. Tell your friends. And check out some of the other shows on the uh, Extended Cinepunks Network. Yay. Thank you so much. Episode 66 It's done. Thank you again, Jasmine. Thank you, guys. Smoke bomb. Smoke bomb. Don't talk. Just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network.